Hey guys, what's up? It is week 269. And before we start this, I want to let you guys know that week 248 um, got hit with a copyright strike. And it was strange because it was for a product that was sent to me to review. I used part of a trailer, part of a clip for it. And uh, since I put the uh, visual, the uh, video over the audio now, um, I had to cut a clip out of it. So, or otherwise it will be blocked. So if you go to like week 248 and there's like a, a skip or something, if that ever happens as a reviewer, it seems like part of the review is missing and there's a, it's cut. That's what happened. Um, it's so much easier to just cut the content instead of re-uploading and losing all all the stuff and if you're ever like oh man that sucks i don't like that i understand um i can't do anything about copyright strikes because the idea of fighting like a big company like shout factory for using a clip because they have it streaming even though bci sent it to me to review yada 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 i'm not going to get into the whole idea of youtube and all that stuff i'm not you know fighting the big youtube or whatever they don't care i mean why would they it's just a small little channel but if you're ever looking for the videos completely uncut they they most likely won't get cut on spotify um, all the audio stream won't get cut. That's on all the different platforms. And uh, on Spotify, it's a video as well. The new videos, I don't know if 48 is, but from now on, there'll be videos on Spotify as well. So if you're into that, I, I have been going back and putting some of them on the Internet Archive, but I'm only up to like episode 20. So it is what it is. Let's hop into these reviews. The first one up is from Arrow Video, and I was really happy to see this get a release. This is Hell High, um, and this uh, initially uh, was made in 1989. I think it was made before 89, but then it got it took a couple years to uh, edit and eventually came out in 89. It actually um, was released by a, a Shriek Show years ago on DVD, and that's initially when I saw the movie, and I always had kind of a, a vague memory of it and enjoying it, but popping it in this time around, it was it was kind of a treat. Um, Arrow did a great job remastering it, and it was just kind of like a, a sleazy kind of exploitation flick. They, they poured it over the Joe Bob intro that was on the DVD. Joe Bob gave it four stars. He said, check it out. Seems to be a big fan of it. You can kind of tell. It's definitely doing things the drive-in way, the exploitation way. Um, so uh, this one, instead of, you know, it's kind of aimed at kind of a slasher style movie the people the filmmakers said they were looking for something kind of in the line with Halloween it does play more like something at class of 1994 or massacre at Central High or these high school whores it's definitely mainly focused on high school kind of um uh what would you say politics in a way and friendships and all this kind of stuff so essentially there is um this guy's on the football team he was really good apparently he quit the team he got kicked off the team now he's kind of this outcast there's kind of a group of these like kind of rebels there's three of them and one's re- led by I can't think they call him is it, his name is Christopher Stryker in real life but uh, Collins or I, I mix up the names Collins and so and so Stevens I think are the two last names that they say a lot so this guy is just like a troublemaker and he's not necessarily what you'd call like that kind of person that's picked on he is infamous around the school he's kind of I own him a bully just kind of not really a bully not really a loser but he's actually going to be a genuine loser in life if that makes any sense and he's just dangerous. He's a delinquent, a degenerate. And so he has this gang, uh, one of which who's kind of with this kind of like punk rock girl who seems kind of cool. And, and the football player likes her. And this guy they call Smiler, which is definitely an 80s kind of stereotypical character that's just like this big kind of goofy guy that's always smiling. And he's got catchphrases like savage and, and stuff. But for some reason, he's a little grounded in this one. And I, I feel like all the characters kind of are in this one. So um, the football player ends up kind of being introduced to these guys and starts hanging out with them. And him and uh, the kind of extremist guy start to be kind of friends, although there is some tension between them. And 
the the degenerate kid has a problem with one of the teachers. Um, this teacher obviously has some psychological issues that you see in a flashback. It's not too big of a spoiler, obviously. This is the character where some people she was involved with a couple people's deaths, and obviously this has bothered her forever. And uh, one day they decide to play a practical joke on her, and she kind of gets like triggered to remember these events in a, in a more you know abrupt, crazy way, and it escalates from there. We have attempted rape, we have murders, we have people pitting crimes on each other, and we have high-speed uh, chases and whatnot. So there's a lot to like in this movie, a lot going on. Um, and I think the characters are, are really something that pushes it forward. I like the music. I like everything about it. It's just a really solid kind of 80s horror film, exploitation style. Um, there's plenty of nudity, of course. There's Peeping Tom stuff. There's uh, I don't know if they go full-out sex scenes. There are some sex scenes, some fondling, or almost sex scenes, stuff like that. Um, the deaths are solid. I like the characters. That's kind of what pushes it forward. And the end is very memorable. It has a very memorable, solid ending that I really enjoy. Um, definitely, uh, it reminds, like I tell you, this reminds me of something straight out of Massacre at Central High, which is a cool film. As far as the special features are concerned, there, there's a slew of them. So we have brand new audio commentary through uh, director, producer, co-writer Douglas Grossman, and this is the only film he ever directed, um, and cinematographer Steven Fernberg, who went on to do a bunch of movies. We have archival audio commentary as well with the director, archival introduction, audio commentary with film critic Joe Bob Briggs. Gotta love Joe Bob. School's Out, a newly fin- fi- uh, filmed interview with director, producer, co-writer Douglas Grossman. That was interesting. It basically says how the film came together and how he did it and all that kind of stuff. A Beautiful Nightmare, a newly filmed interview with cinematographer Steven Ferberg. Also interesting how they um, how he hooked up and everything, how he has kind of uh, goes at um, cinematographer, how him and Grossman got together. John John's Journey, a newly filmed interview with uh, actor Christopher Cousins. I was mixing up their last name with their character name. And this was really interesting too because uh, Christopher Cousins was like... Um, He's the main guy, the football player, and he um, he talks about the process of being in this, completely forgot this movie even existed, thought no one would ever see it, and he talks about his relationship with Christopher Stryker. And uh, they, they kind of like drop something in here, what happened to him. I don't know if it's any secret or anything. He was uh, he was an actor that was probably going to be on his way to being a lot more things, but he died tragically. They talk about that. It's very sad. A lot of the people bring that up, and they're really kind of bummed out. It's strange. that And this movie initially, I feel like maybe it got released in 87 or something briefly, but uh, the dates so- say 89 and uh chris the the guy striker died in 87 at age 27 so super young and uh and whatnot um it basically cousins talks about how this actor was nothing his friend was nothing like he was portraying as the villain the more the better a newly filmed interview with actress maureen mooney and uh she played the teacher in here really off the wall bonkers performance good stuff though of course a music is not sound a newly filmed interview with composers rich mascar uh makar and christopher uh Hayam's heart and they basically are sitting down together talking about coming together with the score back to schools locations at ohio tour of the original Hell High filming sites with author, filmmaker Michael Gingold. Uh, used to be Fangoria editor, I believe. Archival video interviews with director, producer, co-writer Douglas Grossman, co-writer Leo Evans. Deleted scene, alternate opening titles. Trailer, TV spots, reversible sleeve featuring original and newly commissioned artwork by Ralph Cre- uh, Krauss. So uh, this is the uh, new one and I know that there's the reversible artwork as well in here. It's probably the original artwork with them sitting in the car and whatnot. Yeah, I'll show you that in a little video here. So anyways, yeah, a nice one. That that uh, was out of print on DVD for way too long. Now we finally get it on Blu-ray. Looks good. Uh, I, the one thing that 
drives me crazy about a lot of horror fans, but um, it's really cool for the labels to do this. It's like a movie that hasn't been on DVD or Blu-ray in a very long time or has never been released. People just have no idea what it is. Like a, a, even a popular movie, it seems to disappear for a short period of time and people just forget about it. Um, you know, they don't hunt. So it's, it's really nice when something like uh, Hell High gets put out on Blu-ray or DVD because it's a solid movie that I even, I didn't forget about it. I just didn't appreciate it as much as I should have. And this gives me a chance to rewatch it, a reason to rewatch it and just kind of reevaluate it. And boom, it's good stuff. I mean, uh, you know, I, I do dig deep sometimes and I, I watch a lot of movies that don't have releases or haven't been watched in a long time. And, and sometimes I miss a lot and I'm sure we all do. So it's nice to arrow and vinegar syndrome and, and even screen factor. All those companies are putting a lot of this stuff back out. It's nice to, to check them out again and hell high. It's definitely a treat. Um, gory, cheesy sleazy exploitation movie good stuff and uh you know some of the drama is uh is a little better than one would expect and uh the performances are all solid you know in, in that b movie world some of them are better than others but i think like the 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 main cast shines in here okay this next one here is also from arrow video and this is the righteous this is a new film um yeah this one i hadn't heard too much about i don't keep up on a lot of the newer stuff like i should there i am guilty of, of not digging deep in some aspects so the righteous this is actually directed by mark o'brien who stars in the film and he's predominantly an actor this is his first directorial film i believe feature length at least and uh this stars um geez um I, he was in Ready or Not. He's a very familiar character actor. You guys would know him right away. Um, in fact, the movie predominantly has like four or five people in the main cast. And everybody's really solid in this. This movie relies strongly on the acting and, and the story and the dialogue and all this kind of stuff. So essentially what we have here is a, a black and white movie. It's, it's shot well. It, it has a lot of air in it. That's It's kind of an art kind of film. It's very driven by the performances and the dialogue and this kind of thing. So we have these a lot of long setups of these characters kind of looking at each other and getting these exposition reveals or or slyly saying things and meeting other things all this kind of stuff until the story eventually unfolds we figure out what's going on and we have kind of a um, maybe a larger than life ending or something that is basically apocalyptic I'll leave it at that so what we have here is a, a priest who is struggling with his own you know faith which is always kind of a, a solid horror way to go about it think exorcist right and essentially in the very beginning um, him and his wife had lost a, a daughter and they're a little older too kind of middle aged more more than middle aged just a young daughter they lost he's struggling with his fate and he has some demons of his own one day um this young injured man screams for help he's very and he he calls to them um the the priest goes out and helps him but for some reason um, although the wife wants to call, you know, the authorities and take care of this and everything like that. He decides that we're going to we're going to take care of him and everything like that. And and the first night they have a very deep, long conversation about faith. And uh, he tells him this story. Uh, Mark O'Brien tells him this story and like the reveal at the end. And and uh, it's kind of like this, like almost hard to believe story. But he says that was all bullshit except this. And, and like so you, you realize this guy is, you know, very manipulative. But there's some connection between him and the priest. And, and it works really well. And, and as it goes on, Mark O'Brien starts to work um, his magic on the wife, and, and there, this creates a strange relationship. As more and more stuff is revealed, we learn more about them in, involving his past life, involving current uh, situations that have happened. And there's a couple big reveals, that, uh, and, and it becomes almost like a religious experience, supernatural experience. And um, you know, it's up to the, uh, uh, the, the priest here to make the ultimate decision, uh, you know, if it's going to be good or bad for him, who knows. I don't want to spend too much more time talking about the plot of the film because I said like the reveals I think a lot of people really dig 
Um, I like this film. I think it's well made. I think it's well done. I think that uh, people that appreciate more slow burn stuff, I, I do like some slow burns, but you know, it has more of a religious bend to it, and uh, you know, a guilt thing and faith thing that I think more people that are into those kind of more religious horror aspects, the Christian style horror films, will have more of an appreciation for it. But it's a good way to make a low budget movie, uh, as long as you have the good dialogue, the good actors, and the solid story. I think you can do a lot. I mean, the cinematography, like I said, you know, um, as long as it's well done in a certain way with black and white, you you know, have a bring a, definitely a certain weight to it that you'll enjoy. Um, so as far as the special features are concerned, there's a decent amount here. Brand new audio commentary with writer, director, and actor Mark O'Brien, editor K. Spencer Jones, cast and comment and crew interviews with Mark O'Brien, K. Spencer Jones, uh, K. Spencer Jones, producer Mark O'Neill, actors Harry Chersney, Mimi Kuzak, and Kate Colbert. And Kate Colbert plays this character, I believe it's her, where she's just this really wild, over-the-top like character, and her um, her pauses and her delivery is really believable. I thought that she was a very good character. Um, cinematographer um, A.A. Scott McKellen, and production designer Jason Clark. And that they talk a lot about the production value, for production designs for black and white movies and whatnot, the movies they watched before to get it done. Mark O'Brien talks a lot about, you know, getting the, this thing together and how his acting choices and and, you know, having freakouts on set about snow, all this kind of stuff that you would expect. Um, like I said, this is uh, definitely, um, it's going to be curtailed towards a certain audience, and I do think it's worth checking out, especially if you're trying to look for new 2022 movies. I'm sure this debuted at a festival in 2021, but for a wide uh, audience, it's probably 2022. So check it out. I, you could do a lot worse. I think it's a very well-done, independent movie um, with with good acting and everything. And I, I think these guys both worked on uh, Ready or Not that might possibly be where they met or something else. I, I, it's been a while since I watched Ready or Not. Um, so yeah, this is The Righteous. Okay, so this is the first uh, my first experience with this new company that is uh, through WildEye, actually, and it is called Visual Vengeance. This is supposedly their second release. I think their first one would have been L.A. AIDS Case, or AIDS Jabber, which is an insane movie, uh, if anybody's not seen that. But this is The Necrophiles, which is also a freaking insane movie from 1998. It's an SOV. It's Mark Jahasi or Jahalsel. I know i just seen a couple of other of his movies, too. And I've seen Necrophiles years back. I actually had the double DVD with one one and two um he only directed one and three which is on here as a special feature but this is kind of like the craziness of sov from the 90s if nobody remembers the crazy sov movies of the 90s or or i'm familiar with sov movies and only remembers the kind of initial run of them there was a slew of these fucking bonkers 90s sov movies and the director actually on the special features and stuff says well this movie is kind of a, a statement to those movies you know we had so much weird these underground transgressive movies that were just nuts and weird and strange and this is kind of like the parody of them almost that we kind of wanted to implement these weird insanity things this one's definitely more of a comedy a parody a bizarre kind of movie um and it even talks about that and like there's a bondage scene where he's like this is our take on a lot of the sexual content that they would have in these movies and when i think these wild movies um sov movies from the early 90s i immediately think you know shed or dead um you know some of the tempe stuff I, but i think shed or dead i think hugh gallagher's gore trilogy and i think what is the uh the really um he did twisted uh issues and uh red spirit lake i know that recently they got a blu-ray release a couple of his films did and they're, they're crazy movies the one i've seen is nuts red spirit lake so like these movies push the boundaries and sex and violence and sov and, and this is kind of like his statement i guess on those which is really kind of I didn't know that. I just thought it was a bonkers, goofy, crazy movie. Kind of in the line of those movies, except more silly. So, 
Necrophiles. Okay, the plot of this is, is just insane, okay? It, it's got lots of real guts in it, lots of nudity, lots of sex, lots of inappropriate comedy. So if that's going to uh, turn you away, be warned. This is not for the squeamish. This is not for the easily offended. It's a 1998 bonkers, uh, balls-to-the-wall SOV movie. All right. So, and I'm also really happy that these movies, this the what wild eye on this, the visual vengeance movies they've chosen so far, really cool, really cool. I know there's a couple more, or is it, what's the first one supposed to come out? My bad. I think it was uh, Bodybuilder from Hell, the Japanese uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That might have been their first supposed release, but I haven't seen that out yet. So, okay. Anyways, the plot here is wild. We have a serial killer who's raped and killed over 200 women. That's insane. And we have a couple cops who are looking for him. Um, they're both insane, ridiculous cops. Um, I guess one of which, uh, the commentary here, used to front a punk band, used to get in a fight every night. I believe he plays the uh, the more intense cop of the two. So, of course, the movie opens up with the killer raping and murdering a woman, disemboweling her, that kind of stuff. The cops stumble across him. Um, one had lost a sister to this killer. The other one gets a head injury during the uh, the arrest. They kill the killer uh, unjustifiably after he's arrested and everything, cuffed. They uh, the woman with the head injury waste him, and then what happens is a cult um, that uh, basically takes this guy's off offspring. Uh, one of the women was pregnant that he didn't kill offspring and sacrifices this baby over his grave, which brings um, this killer back to life. This killer runs amok, and now he has about a foot-long dong, um, prosthetic dick that hangs out of his pants, and he goes around raping women with the giant dick. So if you ever want to see a zombie rape women, you know, there, there's more than Japanese films for that. There's the necrophiles. Um, meanwhile, the two cops are on the case, um, and as the one with the head injury starts to lose his grip on reality, he starts to be more insane. He starts to become more vigil, more a vigilante. And, and it's due to the head injury, supposedly. And his partner is very worried about him. And at first, it starts off as a joke. You know, he's like, I believe he's drinking on the job. And then he's doing coke. And he's like, don't worry about it. It's cold medicine. And by the end of the movie, he's just shooting heroin in the in the car. And he's stomping, you know, uh, drug dealers to death in the street. Just He, he becomes an all-out vicious criminal. And, uh, yeah, the movie is as crazy as it sounds. Um to to combat the the dead uh, rapist, um, the the some of the cultists bring back his baby. So now we have a, a floating dead baby that's just a doll screaming demonic things and giggling, trying to stop this uh, this zombie. And it is as goofy and weird as it sounds. There's sexual stuff in here, of course. There's rape. There's like zombie rape. There's like I said. There's just all sorts of weirdness and goofiness and kind of hilarity you know i love the slip of the detective as he starts to lose his grip like first he's like it's just like he's drinking coke and he's like getting a like beating up and then by the end of it he's just all and out the main villain in the movie I, I think it's funny and like although the acting ranges it really does it's there's some really rough around the edges performances in here but they kind of go with the kind of tone of the movie and they kind of make it fun if that makes any sense to anyone this bad boy is loaded with features so bear with me original archival 1997 sd version from tape masters brand new audio commentary with raya director producer matt uh, um, how do you say that J jessel 
Audio commentary with uh, Matt Delisandrio of Horboobs and Billy Burgess of Druid Underground Film Festival. Brand new video chat with director Matt Jahassel. Matt Jahassel Super 8 short films. He talks about originally making his movies on Super 8 and then kind of switching to uh, shot on video because they were much easier. Chilean talk show segment. Okay. Uh, Dong of the Dead, The Making of Necrophiles, original trailer, The Corpse Super 8 short film. Bonus movie, Necrophiles 3000. It's a 2017 sequel and I believe this was all done with dolls. And then we also have um, Necrophiles 3000 trailer, Visual Vengeance trailers, Reversible Sleeve, all that kind of stuff. And it comes with a bunch of little nice little trinkets and stuff inside the case. I'll show you all those and everything like that when we do the close-up. But anyways, I mean, it is SOB. It looks as good as you can. It does have DTS HD sound. But, uh, I mean... How are you going to remaster an SOV? They can make it look as good as they can and everything like that. And I thought like what they did with stuff like Shattered Dead was wonderful um, when they put that out on Blu-ray. So, yeah, I don't remember how this looked on DVD or VHS, to be honest. It's been years, but I'm glad I got to revisit it. And if you guys like these weird movies, I know like so many people like like the Gore trilogy and all these bonkers-ass SOV movies. This is that line, man. This one is just so weird, and uh, it's got a charm to it that I enjoyed. Um, director's from Michigan. I'm not too far from Michigan. I have soft spot for those kind of movies so there we go check out the necrophiles okay everybody there's definitely some movies i'll be watching for summer series that are going to be potentially discussed on there i want to refresh them for myself and all that kind of stuff um if you guys don't know what summer series is it's just epic thing that duncan mcleish over at the podcast under the stairs does every year i've been involved with it since for two this is my third year involved and i'll be involved next year so that's four so if you're interested check it out uh, over on the podcast and everything like that but the first one up i'm going to talk about from 1987 is a nightmare and elm street part three the dream warrior Q docking, right? I can't I can't help but think of the docking song when I think of Dream Warriors. So here we go. Directed by Chuck Russell, who'd go on to direct the blob, written by Frank Darabot in this one, um, starring uh Heather Langenkamp, John Saxton, uh Greg Wanson, um, and of course Robert England. And did I say Patricia Arquette in a very early role? So we Jennifer Rubin's in here and a couple other familiar faces. Um, the, the kid from class of 1999. So just a lot of people can say goes. Uh, yeah, I think that anybody that grew up in the 80s was very familiar with Freddy Krueger. Anybody that grew up in the 80s was very familiar with Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3. Now, as a kid, I was a big Freddy guy. Loved Freddy Krueger. As I grew up, I, I, I like Freddy Krueger a lot. I like Hellraiser a lot. I like Leatherface. I like Jason. You know, I like all of them. And, and you know, I can pick and choose and stuff like that. I like the idea of Nightmare on Elm Street series more than a lot of the other kind of horror franchises out there. So... This time around, do I have to really discuss the plot of Nightmare on Elm Street 3? Well, I'll do it anyways. We have uh, the last remaining kids from Elm Street kind of in this uh, psychotic ward, I guess. Um, they, all these young kids, there's about seven or eight of them, and they all are obviously suffering from the same nightmares. Um, the people trying to help them, including a nurse who, she's what was she just in? I just watched this nurse, uh, I meant the doctor, who is in another movie where she played uh, a different, I can't think. Maybe, she, I think she was actually in, um, I know Greg Watson was in Schizoid, so I can't think of what this this nurse was just in i know it was one of the 80s movies i watched 1980 movies so essentially um nobody really believes these kids they think it's mass hysteria but obviously they're being you know haunted by freddy krueger um and they're in this kind of like group uh and they talk about their problems enter heather langenkamp she returns for the sequel 
How knows how she survived after the first one? We don't know exactly what happened. The science of Freddy Krueger is a very fucked up thing, right? And, and talking about that, the science of Freddy Krueger, here we go. Sometimes Freddy has that, oh, that bellowing voice. And sometimes it just sounds just like Robert England. And then other times, you know, when people are slashed in the dream world, it shows up for real. And other times they don't. It doesn't. I don't know. I, I can't explain it. I mean, but if you're you're fine with the idea of a dream demon killing people, you're probably fine with quite a bit, right? So essentially what we have here is Heather Langenkamp comes in. She's like a dream specialist doctor, and she wants to give the kids, hip, kids hypnocell. Greg Watson's like, I don't know about that. There's kind of a, a semi-relationship with them. So she starts to try to help them uh, just defeat Freddy Krueger in their dreams. Freddy starts picking off the kids, and there's a couple real memorable kills in this movie. That's probably the strongest point are some of the kills. And the... the, the um, the real creativity about it, right? The special effects, the cool dream logic stuff. I think this is kind of like the first time that they really embraced, and they never got to the heights again of this, of just the insane creativity and weirdness and special effects extravaganza that you would want in Nightmare on Elm Street, right? I think that they really embraced it with the Freddy Worm, with all the crazy stuff going on, the Puppet Master stuff. That stuff's so cool. Like, so much cool stuff. And I know it's not perfect. Like I mentioned, the Freddy Boys and all that kind of stuff. But... Essentially, Heather Langenkamp teaches these kids how to use, you know, their dreams to fight Freddy Krueger. So they get powers, hence the Dream Warriors, right? So um, they all have their different powers. They all have their different problems. But they really set up these characters well enough, I think, in the film. And uh, I like a lot of them. I, of course... Growing up, everybody has their favorite. It's kind of like a video game, right? A, a side scroll and beat them up when you put the streets of, of rage or a final fight. You always have the character that you pick. I always picked the strong guy. I always picked Max in Streets of Rage 2. I always picked Hagar in Final Fight. And I'm always going to pick um, Kincaid, right? He's my favorite. Always going to pick Kincaid. He's the guy I, I like the most. But uh, yeah, a anyways, what happens is um, they end up having to face off against Freddy, even if the, a lot of the parents don't believe them. Well, Greg Watson's trying to try to figure out behind the scenes what happened to Kruger. And we have this kind of reveal, of course, which I don't know how I've ever felt about that, having like this nun play a part in the movie as a ghost and, and like they also kind of go back and that feels like very kind of call out to old horror films that kind of ghost nun kind of leading it and we also like have sister mary and, and we also have like the almost putting freddy krueger as a vampire like character or you know like a ghost you know where you have to rebury the bones that kind of stuff here um john saxon's great he he comes back of course john saxon's always great he's one of the best very rarely is john saxon turn in a mediocre or a bad performance and even then he's still entertaining this one he's solid um i I don't have the... I know I've heard people adore Heather Langenkamp and hate on Heather Langenkamp. I think she's fine. I think she does an okay job. She's like... She's not a world beater to me, but she's not terrible. I think she's solid, you know? And I... I, I it's been a while since I've watched the first one, although it's an absolute classic um, from what I remember. Um, the music here is great. Um, I've always loved the Elm Street house. I love the playing of dreams when you don't know you're sleeping. Lots of memorable lines. Welcome to prime time. How could you forget? But the number one thing I really, truly love about this movie is even after... After they establish all the characters when they get their powers, they still feel like they're in danger. And characters you love, characters you connect with, they die. Even using the powers against Freddy Krueger. Nowadays, if they had something like this, and hey, I sound like, get off my lawn, you know. I just wish that movies would be precious with their characters and still kill them. It, it just kind of like... Characters you like can die in a movie, like back in the 80s and in the, in the, especially the 70s. Jeez, everybody dies in the 70s. You could, everybody. But in the 80s, they did it too. And I feel like as we went on as a society, they just were too precious with killing characters. You know, they were like, oh, we want to bring all these characters back. Now, part four was a little 
too unprecious with their characters, if you know what I mean, as far as killing them, um, and, and like I said, <laughs> really unceremoniously. And this one, they they do it well. There's a couple characters that I think you like enough, and I think people probably connected with, and then when they bit it, they're like, oh shit, really? That character's dying right there and everything? But yeah, um, so I just, I really like the film. I know it is very nostalgic for people, it's very nostalgic for me, but I think many 80s films just kind of carry that nostalgia flame. Almost all of them, to be honest, for me at least, and for a lot of the people, my peers or whatever. I don't even I like I peers like well, this is a job, but you know what I'm saying. Other fellow horror fans, ranging from age 30 to 40, or to 25 to 45, or whenever you saw these movies, because it doesn't always pertain necessarily when you were born. It pertains when you were exposed to them. If that makes any sense, and the 80s movies carry a certain nostalgia to them, even if you saw them when you were young, you know, or a different age. That's what I'm saying. Like, even if, like, for some reason, even if you were 10 in 19, like in 2000. If you saw these movies growing up, I feel like they carry nostalgia. I don't know if that's true. That's just how I feel about them. Anyways, I've always dug Nightmare on Elm Street 3, of course. It's a classic to me. Um, yes, um, the special effects are a lot of fun. The story is fun, even if it, it it relies on classic horror tropes. But that's fine by me. Um, Robert Englund's really fun in it, of course. Uh, yeah, I dig it. They kill main characters. They kill precious characters that you care about. Um, Greg Watson was funny. He was just in Schizoid. And I, that le- I can't think of the doctor. It was just in a movie I just watched. My brain's getting old. I, I actually watched this before. I, the movie I, I watched before we, the day before we went on vacation. So, like, I watched this almost a week ago, if not. If not, yeah, a week ago to this day. So, um, anyways, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, The Dream Warriors. Uh, great soundtrack, too. We got Dokken, Into the Fire, Dream Warriors, you know, all sorts of good stuff. And if nobody's ever seen the music video, who were those guys yeah check it out anyways that's it okay the next one up another one i'm re-watching for summer series um from 2007 trick or treat by michael doherty go on to direct krampus uh worked on some other movies i think he directed which one did he direct godzilla um the new godzilla movie i think he did or one of them regardless um i don't have the deluxe special edition from screen factory maybe i'll pick it up if i ever get a good deal on it i, I mean uh, Trick or Treat. What can I say about this movie? Um, this is one of these rare movies. I know there's been a handful, but this movie came out and it almost became like an instant cult classic, right? It was shelved. It had problems. Didn't get released till years later when it was supposed to get released. And everybody I knew, almost everybody fell in love with the thing. Uh, all my friends, everybody. And when I saw this, I can't remember when it was when I initially did see it. Whenever I could. For the first time the DVD came out, I, I bought it and watched it and loved it. Um, I love anthology films. You all know that. I love Halloween films. You all know that. Um, and the way this one's done, it, it really flows really well. It's an anthology, but it's also could not be an anthology just because it flows in uh, really well. All the stories are interconnected. It's got a wonderful cast. Um, and the thing that I took away from this time, and they use a lot of sound cues from other movies, and I don't know if there's genuinely a 100% just original score for this movie, but the music chosen, not just the, the needle drops, but the music chosen, the score and all, whatever it is, it's so perfect. To me, it reminds me of those classic 80s movies that just make my heart melt. I I, heard, I felt like I was hearing stuff from Amblin movies, from Little Monsters, all these cues, and it gave this whole little rich Halloween thing. Uh, it all came together perfectly for me, rewatching this. And I always liked the movie. I no rewatching that I was going to love it too, but it just felt really rich and everything. 
uh, taking place in Ohio makes me happy as well because you know how they say about the Midwest and a lot of these places, they just kind of go all out for Halloween. And when I was a kid, I felt like Halloween was a big deal. I don't know. I'm sure it's a big deal everywhere in the States. Maybe not. I don't know. But when I was growing up, it was a big deal. And uh, yeah, so taking place in Ohio, it makes a lot of sense to me. Also, you can see their breath. And lots of times, uh, about 50 to 60% of the time, it's cold on Halloween in Ohio. So like seeing that. Anyways, the story follows kind of the spirit of Halloween, I guess, is kind of like the main character here in Sam short for Samhain, I'm assume, right? And uh, essentially, he uh, kind of just is like the spirit of Halloween. I don't explain it. So we have like four, I guess, four stories in here, all ranging. Um, sometimes we have, you know, a girl trying to lose her virginity on Halloween. I don't know how much to spoil here with, of course, a twist, which is very fun. We have a, kind of a, a crazy principal um, played by Dylan Baker in there. We also have a great ghost story. Um, my favorite is the personal ghost story here about, uh, you know, haunting kids and all that kind of stuff uh, and mentally handicapped kids being uh, having a, all a terrible death and, and the way that story's told and the way it's revealed and the set design and the atmosphere in that scene, mwah, chef's kiss. That's this perfect Halloween anthology story, if not one of the best anthology stories of all time, is the dead kids on the bus here. And then finally, we have the end story with Brian Cox, who is a miserable curmudgeon on Halloween. Kind of their deal, I guess, the Scrooge version of the story with Brian Cox kind of facing off against the spirit of Halloween and Sam. So all these stories are really strong. I enjoyed all of them. This time around, I like the uh, I like the uh, Little Red Riding Hood style story a little bit more than I expected to like. That was my least favorite in the past. Not so much this time. I thought it was really fun and clever. Um, and uh, my favorite story still is, of course, the school bus story. I think the way they do that is just so sad and depressing. And the flashbacks, how the kids are dressed almost in that like style of 30s and 40s. Like even older. Like you see those old pictures of Halloween costumes that are absolutely frightening. I think that was really well done. I think the movie is just has that certain quality that you know attracts younger audience in, like kids to watch, and it brings you back to that time as a kid. But it's also scary as hell because young old younger people die in it, and you just don't really expect to see a lot of that stuff um kids being killed but they, they don't really pull their punches in that aspect and i i kind of like that and throughout the movie you'll see like a lot of the characters interacting with characters and then we'll cut back and you'll see those characters from the other point of view which is wonderful you know people call this the pulp fiction of horror anthologies and i could see that because it's intermingled everything's intermingled wonderfully it's really well acted um, besides, you know, Dylan Baker and Brian Cox, there's, there's some names I named. Anna Panquin's in here. Um, you know, she'd gone to play Rogue in the X-Men movies. And Michael Doherty, I believe, was involved in writing some of the X-Men movies and whatnot. Brian Singer produced this. He would direct some X-Men movies. Brian Singer's probably not the most well-liked guy anymore for obvious reasons and stuff like that. But anyways, this is just a wonderful movie with wonderful atmosphere. It's perfect. It's really kind of a perfect horror anthology. I really can't, you know, I like Creepshow better and maybe Tales from the Crypt from 72. That's probably my favorite anthologies, to be honest, or those two. And this one would probably be number three. Or maybe Volt of Horror is number three. I don't know. It's really tough. Um, but this has an EC comic style, too. They even do the comic book flip. Well, you know, this is obviously heavily inspired by, you know, Creepshow and EC Comics and all that kind of stuff. And I love that stuff. That's the stuff that I like to, you know, that I, I always enjoy, you know, Tales from the Crib, Creep Show, all that shit. It, it just speaks to me. I like it. Um, it's, and it's really well written. And uh, just lots of memorable lines, lots of funny lines, great dialogue. Um, just can't say enough nice things about it. I know this movie's been dissected and talked about for years, and that's fine. I mean, I, I mean, 
I'm sure there's some people that don't love it. I, I even loved um, his follow-up picture, uh, Krampus. Um, I thought that that was a, a great movie. Not quite as good as Trick or Treat, but almost almost as good. I, I think Krampus is great. Um, I love the He's great with atmosphere. Michael Doherty is so good with atmosphere and stuff like that. So anyways, I, I love to possibly see another movie, another horror film by Michael Doherty and everything like that. Maybe, maybe an Easter one. I, I, anything, really, to be honest. I don't want to push something on that he wouldn't want to do. But anything. I, I'll check it out for sure. So anyways, uh, Trick or Treat great stuff um highly recommended i'm sure everybody and their brother has seen this movie and reviewed it so there we go okay the next one up is gonna be rob zombies house of a thousand corpses and i know i know i'm not re-watching this for summer series it's been a long time since i've seen rob zombies house of a thousand corpses i i okay here we go please 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 i am so sick of hearing about how much you hate rob zombie whatever you know, I and, I and I probably I hate talking about Rob Zombie. Not that I dislike Rob Zombie, just because I have always hear about how much you hate Rob Zombie. Um, that Halloween remake was like it's over ten years old. It's like fifteen years old. So I, I'm still hearing about this shit, right? It's insane. Um, I get it. You don't like him? Fine, move along. Don't bother saying anything, right? So here we go. And you can just like him all you want. I, I'm sure there's some reasonable reasons for it. Whatever, you know, it's your opinion. Whatever. So. Here we go. House of a Thousand Corpses, 2003. It was a directorial debut of Rob Zombie. And yeah, it had a lot of hype behind it. Um, it was shelved for a while. There was the discussions where it was going to get released. So I remember being very excited to finally see this movie. And then when it came out, I was very happy with it. I really enjoyed it. Then as we have the sequel, Devil's Rejects. I love that as well. And then later we'd have, you know, Three from Hell. I'm not as thrilled about that. Didn't hate it like a lot of people. But still, here we go. So this is the introduction of the Firefly Clan. Um, it has a lot of character actors that people would remember uh, from the past in here. We got, of course, um, Sid Haig. Definitely kind of rekindled his career. You know, I mean, like kind of a re- career re- renaissance, although he was in Jackie Brown. That probably didn't hurt him too bad right there. Um, so a career renaissance here um, where he plays Captain Spaulding, the the lovable, crazy clown character that uh, he'd go on to play a couple more times. He's really excellent in this movie. Sid Haig's got a good screen presence. Just a great character actor, right? Um, we also have Bill Mosley from... Text Chainsaw Massacre Part 2, Chop Top, he was Night of Living Dead 1990, just another good character actor. We have Karen Black, who is in tons of movies, Tom, you know, classic movies and, and horror movies as well, Trilogy of Terror. Then we have, of course, Tom Tolls, who is one of my personal favorite character actors in Henry Ports of a Serial Killer, Night of Living Dead 1990. We have uh, newcomer Walton Goggins. I, I don't know how newcomer he was, but I really didn't notice too much. I knew who he was. I mean, I didn't know him until I saw this movie, but I always took note after he was memorable and he popped up in the Tarantino movie, Hateful Eight. He's really good in this as a douchey deputy or whatnot. And then, of course, we have Sherry Moon Zombie, who's going to be in all Rob Zombie's movies after this and, and whatnot, his wife. And, like, who else pops in here? Rain Wilson, Chris Hardwick, um, frickin', I know there's probably some other cameo, Michael J. Poller, or Ir- Erwin Ir- Keyes, um, just Matt McGorry. There's a lot of people that you remember uh, You remember in this movie. Um, the old man from <laughs> Saving Private Ryan's in this frickin' movie. So, so yeah, it's just got a lot of people. And, and anyways, essentially, this is the story. It's a Halloween movie as well. Good Halloween atmosphere. Not quite as good as Trick or Treat, but what the hell could be as good as Trick or Treat's Halloween atmosphere. So we have a, a traveling group of uh, a quartet of young, uh, young people traveling, and uh, they decide to stop and get gas at this uh, uh, Captain Spaulding. 
uh, gasoline and fried chicken horror museum deal. And they see uh, this, they take this uh, this haunted ride thing and they get a glimpse of this kind of local character called Dr. Satan, Quentin Quayle. And uh, they're intrigued, so they decide to go out and try to find out where he's supposedly hung on this tree. They end up having their car break down, typical kind of horror movie tropey fashion. And they are abducted by the Firefly clan, which is kind of like this Texas Chain style slash monster style villains that kill, rape, pillage, do whatever, all these crazy experiments. And it's Halloween, so they're going to have some fun. This whole big family clan, and they're kidnapped by them, and they have to survive, kind of. Also, there's some cops looking for them, and a girl's dad, all this kind of stuff here. So Rob Zombie wears his influences on his sleeves. There's there's a, a wall of a creature from the Black Lagoon painting. You see the monsters on TV. It's very 70s style, you know, exploitation, horror films kind of deal. Has, like, all these sentimentalities in here of other films. We have, like, these mental patients that look like Fulci's zombies rising out of the water. So we have all this shit. And maybe some people would say it's too much uh, stuff in there, but it's just all his influences are in here. They're packed in. There's more pop culture references than you could you could throw a frisbee at. I don't know if that's a saying makes any sense, but you guys know exactly what I mean. There's just so much in here. And here's one thing I really like about Rob Zombie's movies is I know a lot of people say, okay, here we go, all these kind of low-budget horror films, and they have all these character actors or horror icons that are washed up, and they're just going to come in and do a shitty job in these movies and, and just get a payday, or they don't have time to do a good performance because they're there for half a day. Rob Zombie, I think, gives these actors a, a good chance to uh, you know flex their acting muscles or gets a good performances out of them. They all do really good. I mean, Captain Spaulding is highly memorable, you know, and, and there's just a lot of funny stuff in here. Um, I know some people don't find it funny. Some people find the dialogue, uh, you know, it gets grates on their nerves. Not for me, okay? I'm a little bit white trash, maybe maybe more white trash than, you know, I'd like to admit, but Rob Zombie's characters in the first first few of his movies, I enjoy them, okay? What can I say? It is what it is. Um, it helps that Rob Zombie has ties to the music industry because he can use needle drops in certain ways that a lot of other filmmakers couldn't use, so that helps his films, definitely. He uses a lot of big music cues that, you know, people in their first film couldn't have access to, no doubt. Um, but there's a really some really brilliant scenes in here, I think, especially the scene where um, they find the, the cheerleaders, the police officers. I think that scene's really well done. I think that they kind of let you sit a lot long time with uh, waiting for that trigger to be pulled if anybody's ever seen this movie and I think that that is just something that I eat up and a lot of people would stick to nose whoa, whoa some of them think he's an art filmmaker I like these weird touches and he's definitely experimenting we go into like negative things and, and these weird transitions and these cutaways of you know uh, Sherry Moods I'll be rolling around with a corpse and it looks like necromantic or something like that and then we have these weird cutaways of just people kind of ranting and raving about skunk, skunk apes and it's just like such weird bizarre mind trip of a movie um, it gets completely bonkers. It has everything he would want in it. You know, it's like Texas Chainsaw Massacre and just so much shit in here, like I said. It's just got these weird sentiments of a lifelong horror fan that was screaming and dying to get all this stuff on there, and he incorporated as much as he could. Um, uh, I, I like Rain Wilson a lot in it. I like the other two female leads. I think they do a good job. I don't know their act their names too much. Chris Hardwick does a solid job, but he's a really annoying character, and I think that's kind of obviously what he's supposed to do. Uh, I'm not a huge Chris Hardwick fan. You know, I, I, I know I shouldn't bring that up. There's no reason to nothing personal i just don't you just there's sometimes you see somebody and you think they're full of shit and for, he's the guy for me i, I don't know if it's true he's, he's a good enough actor in this movie and maybe i'm just being an asshole but hey it is what it is uh it's personally how i feel and uh i've been wrong before could be wrong again why not um 
just uh, it's like in the interviews and stuff later on, like the Talking Dead. When I saw him on there, he just rubbed me the wrong way in his podcast. He had great guests, and he just I I don't know. He's just the way his podcast. I just didn't care for him. That's all. I'll leave it at that. Um, but yeah, I, for the most part, I really like this one. It has some disturbing shit in here too, like murders and stuff. And they'll do like low grade. They'll use like found footage or whatever, and that's not like home movies. Sometimes you'll see the murders, and it, it just has a nice effect, to grossness, and it is what it is. There's a lot of like, it's weird. Like they'll have these like really big like shots, crane shots, zoom up or it's really high quality and stuff like high quality filmmaking then we'll go down to that low nitty gritty nasty shit like where you have them just like home videos of people getting their like hand sliced off and shit so it is what it is um it definitely kickstarted a crazy wild career that um you know he's one of the most uh uh divisive directors in the horror genre you know there is and that's just one thing like i don't need to hear how much you hate him like the 90 percent of the shit i hear about rob zombies movies when they come out there'd be no news coverage if it weren't people just bitching about his movies it's so funny it's just like you guys are giving him all the publicity he'll ever need right because 90 percent of people wouldn't even know this movie's coming out if it weren't you complaining about it so just ignore it if you don't like it i mean that's the best thing you can do um anyways uh i i kind of missed that the old dvd menus just have some real funny stuff on there with captain spaulding howdy folks come on in uh that stuff was great but um the opening scene here really sets the tone i love the stuff with spaulding and fuck your old grandma and most of all fuck you that stuff's really good and the dr zayas line by michael j Pollard cracks me up i like it i know i know uh it's not for everybody but uh it's for me I like it. House of Thousand Corpses by Rob Zombie, 2003. It is what it is. Yeah. Check it out if you haven't seen it. I know everybody and their brother's seen it. They love it. They hate it. They don't care about it. It is what it is. Rewatch for Summer Series. I covered Devil's Rejects on here. I've covered uh, the, De- uh, the Three from Hell. Might as well complete the trilogy, right? Okay, the next one here. I think it was a James Hoover pick or James Turner. I'm not 100%. Um, but it is the Patreon pick, and this is by Jan Casavetes, um, son of John Casavetes. I'm 100 pretty sure on that one. And this is Kiss of the Damned. And this is kind of like one of these more modern vampire movies, I think made like a decade ago now. And, you know, it brings to mind stuff like Byzantium and um, Only Lovers Left Alive, which, strangely, I've seen both of those, but I had not seen Kiss of the Damned. Okay. So Kiss of the Damned, um, I, you know, immediately I don't think I can mention a, a, a melodramatic uh, uh, vampire flick without mentioning, you know, some possible, you know, things that inspired it. Jean Roland interview neil marshall interview with a vampire those kind of things right that stuff springs to mind um and this one does have kind of like the jess franco that kind of stuff right so what we have here is a writer who's kind of uh in this like uh isolated area and he's supposed to write a movie script it's it's actually milo ventimit i'm not going to say his last name right he pops up in stuff like cursed and the divide um and a lot of other movies he's a solid actor always liked him very handsome guy so he's like writing this script and he ends up kind of running into this uh this beautiful woman who happens to be a vampire guy she's staying at this like kind of estate and i think they run into each other at a video store honestly and uh which is obviously probably a statement by the director or the writer love of movies speak right to cinephiles a video store right how uh how how kitsch right anyways i like it i like video stores and i grew up in a video store so um what happens is um they kind of hit it off originally but um right away but she has obviously has some apprehensive apprehensive moments about her he can't stop thinking about her he goes to look for her he ends up getting bit 
Um, and this starts a relationship between them. She kind of explains who they are and everything's kind of shaken up when, um, her sister ends up having to stay with them for a few days. Her sister is a wild card. She's crazy. And this is one of these things, these kind of characters that always drive me crazy. It's like you're 200, 300 years old and you still act like a 10 year old. It makes sense when you're Homer from near dark and you're trapped in a little kid's body and you never got to grow up. You never went through puberty or your hormones may be screwed up. I don't know how the vampire childhood thing works. Okay. But you're a young 25 year old or something along those lines and you're still acting like a 10 year old kid drives me crazy so she comes in she doesn't follow the laws or anything like that and her sister is obviously upset by this talks to kind of like one of the head vampires who gets them their state kind of one of the leaders in the area and a lot of these vampires are trying to be more you know um, sophisticated and, and they look down upon sucking the blood of humans they use animal blood and they're trying to work on a synthetic drug all this stuff like this and you kind of get a glimpse a little bit into their life and their the way that the vampire kind of um, works, the, 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 you know, the relationships and the world. So um, Milo and her are both like kind of like kind of blossoming their relationship and falling more deeply in love while the sister is just wreaking havoc. She goes out and she kills people violently, gory and all this kind of stuff. She's just an awful annoying character and so the whole movie's piling up to you really want her gone, right? This kind of character where they, they bring it up to like, you know, a vampire. Humans get rid of humans that step across the boundaries and maybe vampires. They set this whole thing up, right? So so by the end of the movie, there is a moment that just works really well and, I, and at first I was like, I don't know how much I like this movie and then when they finally deliver on what they're supposed to or, or how they know the audience feels i think it worked really well and i thought that scene was really well done um yeah like so the sex scenes are spicy um the the gore is decent it's not perfect you know there's some cgi in there that's not not great um, I think a CGI deer possibly, and that's always strange to look at. But besides that, I don't really have any complaints about it. Um, it's a little slow, but all the, the technical aspects are there. It's really well done, the music and all that kind of stuff. And it's definitely a nice little movie. It's some, something that probably typically wouldn't be made too much around this time, but we did have that kind of that that boom of them, right? We had Byzantium, Only Lovers Left Alive, and Kiss of the Damned all around the same time. All are good. All are worth watching. I think I might think Byzantium. Is probably my favorite of the bunch, probably because it's the bigger, more epic, you know, sprawling one, and it just has the gore and it has the story and everything. While Only Lovers Left Alive is the most subdued, you know, artsy one. Well, Kiss of the Dam kind of fits somewhere in the middle. I feel like it's more in line with something like a, a John Roland because it has the slow pace. But you know, John Roland's vampires act so much different. You know, they act so unique and i just like the way they act and the way they look you know like a lot of those euro horror movies have that certain aesthetic and the vampires have a certain you know interesting question mark quality about them and that's not here like the vampires here seem very human if that makes any sense, a very jovial and whatnot, very interview with the vampire style. But Kiss of the Dam is good. Um, and I, I know this director went on to do more work that I would definitely be interested in checking out. Maybe I've seen it, I can't 100% be sure. But that's Kiss of the Damned. Uh, cool Patreon pick. Finally could check it our, off, you know, watching it. It's been on my shelf for years, and I liked it. It's good stuff. Okay, guys, now we're going to hop into those 1980 movies. They did this to you! They're trying to turn us against each other! Just look at them. What do they know about friendship, anyway? I'll get them. You watch. I'll take care of those sons of bitches. Watch it, Alan. I'm shooting. Oh, good Lord. It's... It's unbelievable. It's... It's horrible. 
I can't understand the reason for such cruelty. It must have something to do with some obscure sexual writer. With the almost profound perspective. Getting very careless. Blood in your hair. What will we do? You want to look pretty, don't you? Pretty for me. I can't believe you're not afraid. All you have to do is piss on it. Could he care blood, ain't you? God damn it, Ralph, get out of here. Go on, get. Leave people alone. You'll never come back again. Oh, shut up, Ralph. It's got a death curse. Evil. Down my leg. Down my leg. Hi, Jesus. You're here. There's a bog bank out there. Messenger of God. Here. Demanding everything, including blood. John, I want this material burned. All of it. Son of a bitch. Wendy. Stay Darling, light of my life. I'm not gonna hurt you. You didn't let me finish my sentence. I said, I'm not gonna hurt you. I'm just gonna bash your brains. I'm gonna bash them right the fuck in. <laughs> well, Dad, are you proud of me now? Do I measure up? Huh? My son, my son was a son of a bitch. And he was no good. That's it. My son is dead. I don't want to talk about him no more. Oh, Sandy, you're gonna die. Mater Lacrimarum. Ma'am. Mater Tenebrum. He didn't find any boy. Mater Susperiorum. You know as well as I do, it takes all kinds of critters to, to make, make farmer bins and fritters. <laughs> I wonder who the real cannibals are. All right, the first 1980 movie is a doozy. And uh, yeah, I wish I did have the the 4K scan of it. Hopefully this one gets a 4K release by Screen Factory. But this is 1980, of course, Barbara Peters movie produced by Roger Corman, Humanoids from the Deep, a.k.a. Monster. Yep, guys, um, if anybody doesn't know, this is a movie that I grew up watching, age 12, 13, I initially saw it. Probably way too young to see something like this, definitely like this. I love the creature from the Black Lagoon. If you guys do not know, he's my favorite universal monster. I love monster movies. I love underwater horror movies, especially anything without CGI. And I know I, I don't hate CGI, but I hate my CGI water monsters, okay? It's not for me. Oh, it's not for me at all. Um, but yeah, Humanoids from the Deep. What a fucking classic. Okay, boom. Okay, this movie's 1980. It's an exploitation movie. Originally, it was Barbara Peters directed half this movie, and she is definitely like a from a female perspective, right? Um, Corman said she shot all the male murders and deaths, and they're extremely gory and violent. And the the monsters basically they rape women, 
very B-movie style plot, exploitation plot. They rape women and whatnot to kind of breed. And that was all done in the shadows and artistically, whatever, you know. It's the Roger Corman production. It's going to be in the theater. It's going to be the drive-in. You know, they need the exploitation quality about it. So we initially have, like, the gory deaths in there, which, yeah, exploited. But we also have, like, a strong female scientist in here who takes charge. And, well, and she's a really good character. And then, but we have, like, these other elements, too, that are in this, that are just well done, especially with the cannery, the Native American versus the bigot guy and this small town and these people just, it's just real, all that stuff's really well done. And I don't know if we would have got that if, you know, an exploitation director did the entire film, right? I know a lot of exploitation movies tackle stuff that, that other movies never would, and, and sometimes they say more than a Hollywood movie could say, right? I've seen it done before, um, but still. Uh, and, and, like, so we have that aspect. And then a, dra- a second unit came in and filmed these graphic sex scenes and vi- more violence and, and, like, rape scenes. I shouldn't call them sex scenes. They're definitely rape scenes. But there is some other nudity besides that. And so it adds this exploitation flair on top of it. And it's just, like, it's, like, I don't want to say the best of two worlds because fishman rape is never a pleasant thing, right? It's not, like, it was 1980, though, so it's kind of expected. And I could, I, I don't personally hold it against the movie, right? A lot of people don't like that stuff nowadays. And I understand. It is what it is. But, hey, I'm also a huge fan of all exploitation film so in a certain aspect i'm like oh god that's so crazy and insane i have an appreciation for it. but then other times it's like fishman rape is just so exploitative at the same time you're like fuck so i get it i get it but it has this weird mixture of the two and it's just like bam man that just really works fucking well because we have the exploitation elements but we also have like a good story and good characters so it's just like it's the best of both worlds and i fucking love this movie like i said it's under 80 minutes it's at warp speed right we have tons of great character actors don Mc- doug mcclure who is in like a lot of those i believe what were they kevin J. Collins or like, um, you know, um, dinosaur, you know, Earth, Earth's core, you know, I believe they were like style 60s, 70s adventure movies, a lot of fun. So he's stars in it. And he's really good in it as that kind of lead kind of guy, you know, and that type. Um, then we have Vic Morrow who's excellent in this movie. And Vic Morrow plays this racist asshole guy who wants this cannery to be built in the town. And he's no stranger to playing a racist asshole. Of course, he would go on to play one in Twilight Zone, the movie, which unfortunately he died on, and which is a very sad story. If anybody, I'm sure everybody knows that story. Vic Morrow's really good in this. He's also no stranger to underwater dangers, as he was in The Last Shark by Ennio G. Castellari, where he plays kind of the, the Quint character. And he's really funny. Precautions were made! precautions were made if anybody's ever seen the last shark Vic Morrow kills and he's also in Dirty Mary Crazy Larry or Crazy Larry Dirty Mary whichever way it goes Vic Morrow's a great character actor right died obviously way before his time would have liked to see him do more so he's really good in this so so like and then we have like good character like it's just such a fun movie the opening of this movie it's just one of the scariest fucking things ever. Um, this, this, uh, this, these people are fishing. A father and son, and some others, and there's this. The kid gets overboard because the winch is pulling. They caught a humanoid, but you don't know. Essentially, the plot of this movie is some medical, exp- some weird experiments to make the fish grow bigger and faster, get out uh, around this coastal town, and they cause mutations and humanoids that attack and kill the men and rape the women. Yada yada yada. And there's a big, uh, you know, local divide against the Native American character who doesn't want the cannery to be there, and some other people who do. Yada. Yada, yada. So we have that as going in this fishing community. So in the very beginning, we have this really crazy scene where this kid gets knocked overboard and he's going under and we see the net and the blood comes up. And that's just that scene was always so very effective to me and actually haunting because, I mean, I grew up in kind of a very water like area, you know, Point Place is on a peninsula. That's where I grew up. It's Toledo. You don't think that in Ohio. Right. But it's in a peninsula. I lived on a peninsula growing up so a lot of boats a lot of fishing that kind of stuff but not as much as this of course but the water was you know something that's in my blood i guess i'll say and seeing that scene was just always so 
oh man, that is a really scary scene and really well done. I love that stuff. But um, the movie never stops. Like it, 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 there's, it's violent. It's crazy. There's lots of fights. We even have a classic ballroom fight, kind of like it's not necessarily like an old saloon style fight, but it's close enough, and I like that. And throughout the entire movie, all the people that were involved in the fights have bruises all over their face through everything. So yeah, it's just it never stops down. It's just monsters everywhere. The humanoids are cool. They're like a mixture of a prehistoric fish that was forced into evolution, and they're just nuts. Um, I know that the fish rape's going to bother some people, and it, sometimes it's a lot. Like you're like, this scene's probably not needed, and like some of the scenes that you can clearly tell are shot. Like that's not needed. That's not needed. Uh, but it is what it is, and it ends in, in a beautiful fashion. You know, at the the big fair or the big festival on the docks, the humanoids attack, and the kill count is through the roof. It is so many people being killed everywhere in Humanoids from the Deep, um, people fighting back. And, and the one thing they do that I really like is as bad as Vic Morrow is, he's a monster in this movie. Um, he stops and helps a little kid, you know, and they wouldn't do that. You know, the bad guys are, are monsters. They have no humanity or whatever. And he is a bad guy, right? But at the end, he does something to redeem himself. And there's a point when two of the characters kind of have, I don't even want to say an understanding, but a certain understanding and, and his performance right there is really good stuff. Like, that's just a good scene. Like, it's just, like, more like that. Just little... You can have an exploitation movie. You can have a B-movie. But you can have moments like that. You can give characters moments that help their performance and help the movie just feel much better than it has any right to be. And that's what Humanoids to the Deep is. It's a perfect B-movie. It's the perfect B-movie to me. And there's not many movies where underwater creatures in this style attack. I Like I said, I love the creature. I love sea monsters, but usually they're either ginormous, bigger than the house, or they're tiny. This time they're right; they're they're big, they're they're human size, and like I like that too. So, anyways, uh, humanoids from the deep. It's one of my favorites. If you guys have not noticed that, I'm, I'm surprised I haven't talked about it on here. But we have the new transfer, the uncut international version. And remember, there's lots of lots of nudity in here, and I think it's very funny that like kind of the beauty pageant girl here in this fishing community is named Miss Salmon. <laughs> <laughs> Who would want to be Miss Salmon? I don't. I don't know. Uh, then we have some never before deleted scenes. Most of those include a lot of spicy nudity and, of course, some more rape style scenes. Um, I, seeing those, I was, I was like rewatching. I was like, man, I'm glad. It's probably good they didn't include this. It's just too much. Um, Making of Humanoids from the Deep, featuring interviews with Roger Corman, second unit director James uh, Skoldenavati, composer James Horner, and Cindy Weintrope. That was all good. New World trailers. And we have a little interview with, um, geez, uh, who's the big um, uh, Leonard Moulton and Roger Corman talking about the movie a little bit. Anyways, love this movie. It's one of the first releases from Screen Factory. I never did get the Steelbook 4K, unfortunately. It makes me very sad. They release it on blue, blue 4K. I will definitely be first in line for Humanoids from the Deep. Anyways, classic from 1980. Um, a lot of water horror this year. Like I said, Fog has a lot. Um, Humanoids from the Deep, Alligator, um, Inferno has a great scene. A lot of water horror movies in 1980. Yeah, this one's one of the best. Okay, the next one is also a heavy hitter from 1980, and this is uh, Tear Train by Roger Spodsworth. Is that how you say his name, Roger Spodswood? And, and he, I know, went on to direct the Getaway remake in 1994, which I like. I know it's not as good as the original. And he also did a couple of movies. I believe he was a New Zealand guy. He did um, what sleeping, oh, not, um, Where Sleeping Dogs Lie or whatever. The one with um, Sam Neill. 
which is a cool movie. So this guy's done a bunch of movies. I know he did bigger movies than that as well. You know, I, I'm missing like the biggest movie he did. Oh, Tomorrow Never Dies. He did some Bond movies. So he's a really solid director. And of course, this stars Jamie Lee Curtis. You know, she was also in Halloween, if nobody's ever heard of that. But in 1980, she was in The Fog. She's in Prom Night. She'd go on to do Halloween 2 and 81, Road Games. So it's got Jamie Lee fucking Curtis in it. And also, more importantly for myself, it's got Ben Johnson, legendary character actor. And I find that funny because the director here, um, I know, I believe he directed that movie, Let's Sleep, uh, um, We're Sleeping Dogs Live, had War Notes in it. So he's worked with both Gorch brothers from the Wild Bunch. Um, you can tell this director is a big, you know, fan of character actors, you know, the way he cast and everything like that. So also has what David Copperfield in here. Um, here we go. Terror Train. It's been so long since I watched Terror Train. I didn't remember how much I liked it. Popped it in. I was like, yeah, it's be on the level of prom night. Boy, is I wrong. This is such a good, fun movie. In the very beginning, we have one of the crazy 1980 pranks, you know, pranks in the 80s slasher movies. You're like, who's doing these pranks? Like, in the 80s, like, pranks are basically closest to, like, rape and murder in the 80s. They're like, so essentially, um, Jamie Lee Curtis is supposed to, like, kind of play the help, plays this prank on this young man. And um, they, like, use it. They're all doctors or doctor, you know, medical students. So they use a real corpse in the prank. And it's really a gross scene, actually. It seems like really nasty and they show the corpse where he's supposed to go in and they're like oh strip down and then like he realizes there's a corpse in the bed and he freaks out and all these i don't think jamie lee knew it was going to be that extreme she obviously feels bad about it there's a few other assholes involved with it and the guy has a major freak out and he ends up having to go away you know and, and whatnot so like she feels bad about it we have like a few years later they're all close to graduation and they decide to take this massive train um they're going to take a train trip in a really cold wilderness and ben johnson's the conductor and essentially that's what they're going to do to celebrate get drunk it's a costume party but of course there's a killer on the fucking train and it's very cool because the killer goes through people's disguises so you don't know who they are and uh at the very beginning they kill like the prankster who's involved with the prank and he uh basically he's always they steal his outfit and then kill another one to steal the outfit and ben johnson's starting to catch on he's trying to figure it out all his dialogue is priceless he's got great screen presence just a very you know a character uh, actor that didn't like to have too much dialogue he won a fucking oscar for last picture show and he's wonderful on that he's always great but uh yeah he does really good in this he's a certain likable quality he's not a stranger to horror films either before this he did town that dreaded sundown and 76 so you know i love him i i'm just a big fan you know he's a peck and paul regular big fan so and and jamie lee's really good in it too so essentially they people get picked off and they start to point out who the killer is it's pretty obvious after a while who the killer is but it's a nice twist i really like the twist in here i think it's really cool i mean maybe offensive nowadays to some people but i don't think it's meant to be that kind of way if that makes any sense and i, I don't think the character is meant to be you know oh, I, without spoiling too much but uh, but anyways like the kills are decent they're not super gory but they're they're effective and being stuck on the train is an awesome place for a movie um they use it really well and the location and all that kind of stuff Stuff and the compartments anyways and the the main bad the main prankster guy he's such a prank you're so happy when he bites it but uh anyways uh <laughs> ben johnson's got some good stuff too um he uses a shovel which i love um anyways it's just a really entertaining flick and i was very surprised how much it held up and the killer dressing in different costumes is a cool idea too and of course they have a magician a magician on on board so that all makes it kind of even crazier and more spicy but as far as the special features are concerned we have interview with production executive don Comodi, producer daniel gornick production designer glenn bidwell and composer john mills cock cockhill and i know 
know that this was recently put out um, on another Blu-ray from Kino or Scorpion or Code Red, and you can pick that up. And it's supposed to be a new 4K transfer. I may uh, I may upgrade because I enjoy the movie that much. Um, this is good stuff. Um, I think it's the second best movie Jamie Lee Curtis did in 1980. But like I said, Newsflash, he had a great year in 1980. All three are very memorable. And this is a really good movie, man. This is better than I remembered. Uh, so I was just very happy with it. Like, I expected mediocrity. I remembered it being solid, nothing great. Rewatching, I was like, no, this is cool, man. This is really fun. Good character. And we still have that that carryover, right? Like some of these directors are still doing stuff where they have a lot of love for these old character actors. So they're still throwing them in horror movies and everything like that. And I, I like the transition here, you know, cause in the, by the mid eighties, you'd have some, but like still in early 80, early 80, there's a lot of them and a lot of them still popping up in these movies and stuff. Just a crazy year for movie. Great stuff. Great stuff. And this one I would put, is it more of a mainstream or is it independent? I don't really know much about the history of trailer train. Um, but, uh, for me, it, it feels more like a, along the mainstream lines and the mainstream stuff's even freaking good right um everything's good everything's good this year so far um I, i've had some turds but nothing maybe some were really bad but uh um nothing as bad as some of the real turds from 2005 or, <laughs> or 1984 so far but dare drain great stuff check it out okay next up from 1980 is one called last rights and i had only seen this cover in passing didn't know too much about it so i popped this in it's very low budget very it feels very regional and like i said i should have done some research on the history of this one but essentially what we have here is um a husband and wife um this lady loses her mother and they come back to the small town to take care of the funeral arrangements and we kind of realize we have this weird if anybody's seen the one released by vinegar syndrome like the grave robbers which has these people that are doing weird stuff to the bodies you get that you get that right off the bat like in, in the very beginning there's like a car crash and like the people take the bodies and i don't think the spoiler right away we kind of realize that they're vampires feeding on the, the people that are injured and they'll feed on them before they die and then kind of stake them and get rid of the bodies so essentially they run a funeral parlor and that's kind of where they're anybody that dies or is hurt they kind of take the bodies and they they suck the blood and all this kind of stuff like that to you know get fresh blood and whatnot and it's like this little conspiracy in this town we have like five or six of them that are doing it including the sheriff and essentially everything's going to plan for them um when they're they give the body they sign over the body of the grandmother to them um the mother i mean and then they decide well let's have the wake here let's go get the body and before it's embalmed we'll have her here and all this kind of stuff and uh he goes and he's having some static and and he eventually just takes the body and what he doesn't know is that she's been bitten and fed upon so she's going to turn into a vampire and the vampires won't have this the, the guy who runs it's very upset the sheriff's in on it so like i said so they start to like kind of look into it and get the body back um it doesn't go as planned and before we know it we have this old lady kind of creeping around this small town like when she comes to at first as the vampire genuinely good stuff creepy stuff good scene um just weird and like of course the vampire is trying to get her back before it's too late and they're discovered and it gets way out of hand we we have dead vampires we have other people in danger all this kind of shit and before long we got a big pile of bodies and it's just got this nice regional quality and uh some good vampire baddies and stuff like that and i ended up really enjoying this one i thought it was a really well made low budget movie and uh it does what it can on the budget it's got a creepy small regional quality i don't have all that much to say about it it's got like a, a nice look to it um check this one out
Uh, I think it's good. I think it's interesting. It might be on Amazon Prime if you're looking. I always thought I had a VHS because it looks so familiar to me, but I don't think I do. Or if I if I do, I don't have it anymore. It's in it's in it's in one of the the back spots, but I can't get to it. But anyways, last rights, um, cool flick. Check it out. Um, I don't have too much to say about it, but it's a little slow at first, but I think it delivers. And we have a lot of these movies, right, where it's like these kind of like not not a lot, but these weird kind of like mortuary people doing bad things to bodies. Like I said, I would put this with Grave Robbers. Um, which is another one that Screen Factory, I mean, a, shot, a vinegar syndrome put out that I think has some comparability to it. And I'm not talking about 1989's Grave Robbers, a.k.a. Nightlife. I'm talking about a different movie. So, yeah. Okay, the next two I'm going to be kind of brief with, and the first one up is The 13th Reunion. This is from the Hammer House of Horrors from 1980. Uh, this is, um, you know, kind of Hammer's last hurrah, um, and they had the series of 13 episodes or 12 episodes, whatnot, and this one is called The 13th Reunion. I believe it's their first episode or whatever's on the disc. Directed by Peter Sazdy, who did a handful of Hammer movies, and I believe another one of the Hammer House of Horrors, maybe a couple of them. So what we have here is the 13th reunion. Um, we have uh, this reporter who's like hired just to go to this weird weight loss program where uh, just to check it out and everything like that. And um, she comes in and finds out how miserable they treat all the women. Like James Cosmo, he's up there. He's from stuff like, uh, um, what was the Monday movie? Morning, Stormy Monday with Tommy Lee Jones and Sting. He's in that. He's a, he's a character actor you'd recognize. Kind of got wild eyes and red hair. And uh, he's basically talking up to um, the uh, the female who's trying to lose weight, and he just belittles her. He says, you're a fat cat. All this horrible stuff to her, yada, yada, yada. And she goes, sits down crying, and this is supposed to help her lose weight. And then a, a male goes up there, and he's heavier, and he's like, have you lost weight? He's like, no, I actually put on weight. He's like, well, you're, looking, you're thinking thin. You're looking good. Why don't you have a huge dinner? And you're like, what is going on here? And the reporter and this guy kind of hit it off, and they have a friendship. They're kind of flirting a little bit. And then they give him a bunch of extra food and everything. And on the way home, he um he he crashes and it seems like he's drugged and the reporter feels something's wrong with this she starts to look into it she starts to see all this kind of stuff and she checks herself into this clinic and everything like that to feel what's happening and there's a big reveal at it I don't want to spoil that it's decent um it's interesting the reveal's fun um I don't absolutely adore it all these are kind of done very minimally and they're sometimes they're dull this one's a little better than some of the other ones that I have seen so if it sounds like it's up your alley check out the 13th reunion um. The actress is good in it. I like her. And the twist is a little fun, but um, it does feel a little bit like these kind of, you know, I feel like I've seen a handful of these ones from 1980 already, like um, Night of Death. Um, the French film has the similarity, and there's another one, too, that has, like, these kind of hospital-esque qualities. Um, Night of the Hunted by John Roland did, too. And then, of course, another movie that's not from 1980 called Shock Treatment, not to be confused with the Rocky Horror Picture Show sequel, has the similarities as well. So, you know, being stuck in this weird, like, hospital-esque place, and there's something going on behind the scenes or this area located whatever you know medical facility and it feels like that a little bit but um a little less you know smaller film it's okay it's not horrible it's the 13th reunion uh check it out if it sounds like it's up your alley cool cover remember the cover Okay, another one from the Hammer House of Horrors is going to be Witching Time. Um, yep, and this is on the first disc as well. I think the second one of the series, and I don't remember who directed this one. And this has a really good cast in here. It has, of course, John Fitch from Frenzy, Patricia Quinn from Rocky Horror Picture Show, and Ian McCulloch from Zombie, Zombie Holocaust from this year as well, and Contamination from this year as well. So it's got a nice cast. I, I like all those actors. John Fitch um, is basically this, I don't remember what his job is. Is he a writer? 
year or something along those lines. But he's kind of having this nervous breakdown because his wife's never around. And he feels like his wife doesn't appreciate him, that she's possibly cheating on him. She is with Ian McCulloch. And then uh, one day, I don't remember exactly what happens, but there's this big flash in his garage. He goes out there and Patricia Quinn is there. And she says she claims I'm a witch. And she's from 200 years ago, and she did a magic spell, and she fast-forwarded herself into this time. And after that, she starts to kind of manipulate him. No one believes him at first, but then after a while, they really don't have much of a choice because she's kind of doing these powers and all this stuff, and it puts a, uh, even a bigger strain on the relationship. Ian Cullen dips and whatnot. It is basically up to John Finch and his wife to kind of step up and stop this Patricia Quinn witch. Um, there's some really fun moments in the actual beginning when Patricia Quinn's learning about this, the, the modern world, and John Fitch is telling her all this stuff. That stuff's great. And Patricia Quinn is actually nude in here a couple times, which kind of surprised me. You know, um, I didn't expect to see, uh, you know, uh, I don't remember her name, Rocky Horror, uh, nude in the movie, to be honest. Um, so, so there's that. And I didn't know if there was going to be nudity in these Hammer House of Horrors. That, you know, I didn't recall, to be honest, if there was any sexual stuff in here. So as it goes on, you know, like it gets a little bit more dull until they basically have to face off against her and whatnot. It's set up. Um, it's okay. It's a little, like I said, it starts off really fun, but then it loses its steam and it's just like, it just, it was very typical. And that's the problem with a lot of these. They're very typical and they don't have like the fun camera work and everything like that. Now I know I'm going to take shit for this, but even like in house of thousand corpses, like the camera's always doing something weird to keep your attention. You don't register it at first. Like when she's running through the catacombs at the end of that movie, the camera spins like this one. And then she runs in the frame and it falls there. And you're like, I don't know if that's just to keep me uh, paying attention and whatnot, or just the weird kookiness of it. And TV movies can really work really well with the, the stationary camera work or the typical tam- camera work. They do. They do sometimes they, and it plays to its, it's, you know, it's, benefit i guess but this time it doesn't it just comes across kind of boring and dull because the story is not doing too much and patricia quinn can only do so much to save the movie right and john fitch and stuff like the acting solid the story's fine and typical but just like it doesn't have much life to it it's kind of a little boring and that's the problem i'm having with a lot of these and i can't believe i'm saying that because i'm such a big hammer fan and i love some of their wackier 70s movies and stuff that you know a lot of people dislike like i love legend of the seven golden vampires i love vampire circus but those movies aren't shot very boring and dull they're they're not run-of-the-mill they're weird and that's guess what I'm looking for in later day hammer. The last thing I want is dull TV stuff, and that's exactly what they were making. So what what do you want, right? And and Charlie Boy has a little bit more energy to it. I think that one's more fun so far. So anyways, the Witching Time, not my favorite of the Hammer House of Horrors, but not the worst either. Um, that would be Visitor from the Grave. Is that the one I dislike the most? I don't know. It is what it is. Okay, the next three 1980 movies, I'll be fairly brief with. Uh, uh, this one is Blowjob. That's right. It's called Blowjob, and this is an Italian flick. This director did Master of the World, which which uh, Vinegar Syndrome put out on Blu-ray. I'm not had a chance to watch it. And uh, yeah, so this one, the title alone, you're like, what? Excuse me? Blowjob? And it's kind of like a softcore horror film, witch kind of style, maybe along the line of something like um, Snake uh, Snake God from 1970. Kind of has like some softcore elements and some witchcraft stuff in here. So um, this one definitely feels like it should have been older than 1980. What we have is a couple that are staying at this, I don't know if it's a fancy hotel, but they definitely can't afford it. They're out of money. One is an actor. And uh, what happens is this woman commits suicide, uh, jumps out the window. That gives them a chance to kind of leave and try to make up for the debt they owe. They meet a strange woman at the racetrack, and she's got like a patch on her eye. She seems really decrepit and weird, and she says, you do me a favor, I'll tell you the winning horse. They do it. 
um, he does it. They get the winning horse. They get a bunch of money, and then they start kind of getting sucked into you know a relationship with this woman. They go back with her, and it starts to get really trippy and weird. And we have this alternate you know changing of characters. Kind of reminded me of Tamlin from 1970 as well with Ian McShane and that kind of strange you know older woman kind of taking in these younger people and taking advantage of them, maybe feeding on them, maybe trying to change their life, whatever. It just kind of has that aspect. What ensues is you know some sexual scenes. Of course, we have sex between the the girlfriend and boyfriend, and then we have sex between this guy and the, the old witch, but also a younger witch, and it all gets really wacky and weird and different. Um, yeah, it's okay. It's, it's interesting enough. It has like enough sex and weird stuff going on and, and trippy stuff and, and decent dialogue to keep your attention. Like I said, I don't have that much to say without spoiling absolutely everything, but there's a lot of bizarre characters. Again, I would put this in something. It feels like it has so much DNA because what covered 1970, right? is a retro year with more 1970 movies, like older style stuff, even with Queens of Evil, which has Ray Lovelock. I feel like it's kind of in that vein of like Queens of Evil, The Snake God, Tamlin. It, it feels a much older, older kind of film in, in that aspect, except with more sexually explicit content and more gore. Like the scene with the, the suicide is, is well done in the sense that it's gory and bloody afterwards. You don't expect to see that much kind of carnage, but it's a decent movie. It's interesting enough. And I think that a lot of people could enjoy it. This director I'm not too familiar with. He's done some hardcore films as well, if I'm not mistaken, but blowjob, the title alone should catch your attention, right? And, and it is what it is. It's good. It's a good movie. It's just that it's more of a witchcraft style thing. If you're into that, I think some people will be, and you know, it's good, but it's not, it's not nothing that blew my socks off, but I did appreciate it. If that makes any sense. Okay. The next one is called Dracula's dynasty. And this is uh, 1980 as well. Again, feels like more old school. I think it's a Spanish film. Um, this director did 126 pictures, and this is the only one I've seen. He's worked with Santo movies and stuff, so this guy's very prolific. Maybe it's a Mexican movie, maybe it's Spanish. I'm not 100% sure on that. But, uh, yeah, this one opens up with... It feels very much like Black Sunday, and the plot is very much like Black Sunday meets Dracula. And, uh, you know, Black Sunday has similarities to Dracula as well. So, anyways, um, this woman and this guy are put to death um, in, like, 300 years ago. I can't remember exactly. They're put to death for their, uh, their, their being a vampire and witchcraft, all this kind of stuff. And before um, the guy is actually done in this woman puts all these spells out and whatnot and she basically calls every demon or, or god you can think of from belial to leviathan to all sorts of ball and lucifer everybody she calls everybody i was like hey, you put the checklist of all the demons i've ever heard of from moloch to to mammon or whatever all of them every one of them um so she does that and i thought that was really cool and, and inclusive of the demon demons like you don't hear all that much about the all these different demons so i thought that was kind of crazy and then we kind of fast forward like 300 years later and it's still a period piece it's still like 1895 two years i believe before dracula's written or 1795 two years before dracula's written because i made sure i was like that's funny because they seem to not know much about the dracula mythology although every country has its own vampire mythology and differences but it's crazy that we kind of go to a modern setting but not exactly 100 percent modern to the point where Dracula hadn't even been written yet, right? So what we have here is uh, this this woman shows up and she wants to buy this old this old location, but this thing has been passed down from family to family to family, and she's like, I want she needs it because she's obviously that person that uh, that ancestor that wants to raise that vampire back up so they can love be in love and and rule the world or whatever they want to do. So that's essentially that. But this family won't sell, so she starts to kind of pick off people. And we have classics, you know, vampires waking up after they've been bit, kind of uh, Nina Harker. I can't remember if it's Nina or 
for uh, Lucy, who's the one who gets bit, wandering the cemetery and stuff. So we have that aspect, the classic Dracula stuff here of, of the vampire kind of attacking and whatnot. Um, and it all stems to trying to revive a, mon a vampire. So what's really cool about this movie is every time the vampire changes um, to like a bat, we have this big bo boost of flame, this big boost of flame and all this kind of stuff. And also we have the cool kind of aspect, which was in a lot of like um, countries that are predominantly, you know, Catholic, where, you know, you have the... Um, the scientist guy not necessarily believing in it. Usually that happens, right? And the priest guys that convince him. It's kind of the other way around here where the doctor kind of senses that there's some sort of vampire stuff going on. He starts talking to the priest and gets the priest on his side, which I liked. Um, so it doesn't typically happen. So that's basically the plot of here. It's got some good kind of gothic setting and music. And um, like I said, good atmosphere, um, solid vampire movie. Does feel more like a mid to early 70s vampire flick than something that would be made in 1980. Like it has these old aesthetics, these old gothic kind of tonal stuff and everything. But it works well. It's a solid vampire movie with some cool stuff going on. Good atmosphere. So if you want to check it out, it's called Dracula's Dynasty. Um, never had a release as far as I can tell. Maybe able to find it on YouTube. Um, it does have subtitles on their fan made subtitles, so they're not always perfect. But uh, yeah, it's an interesting enough movie to check out. I, I I would recommend it. I think it's pretty cool. Um, the last one from 1980 is called Savage Encounter. This is definitely kind of a rape revenge style movie. This is a South African movie, so that's pretty. It's the only South African movie I'll probably cover for 1980. And uh, yeah, um, so in the very beginning of this movie, we have this woman um, and this man kind of living in an isolated area. I think they're going out here to build a house or something along those lines. And in the very beginning, the woman has like a couple kind of like backwoods hillbilly guys jump on her car and kind of mess with her and everything. And she barely gets away from them. She doesn't tell her husband, which is kind of a common thing, right? A lot of people don't tell people when something crazy like this happens. And that stems a whole bunch of other shit happens there. I try to victim blame anybody in this movie, but that's just a very horror typical thing in horror movies. It's like something weird happened. I didn't tell anybody. And if I would have, maybe we would have been more prepared. It is what it is. We realize this woman's had a huge traumatic event to her. We kind of see that in the flashback and the husband and her are not having sex they're not having a relationship and he's kind of understanding of it but at the same time after an incident happens he treats her like property so it gets this whole machismo kind of thing at the same time where like i can't let what happened slide i gotta i gotta show his boss i gotta show these people that she's my property if you get that kind of uh, misogynist stuff in here misogynistic stuff in there too the way the movie is but it's 1980 you can expect that shit right um and i don't know if the movie's making a statement on it or the movie's strong enough to make a statement but essentially what happens is these two these two backwood guys one of which who is mute and very slow is being led by the other guy but he doesn't seem too much against what he's doing they basically break in and they rape the woman and they decide to take the guy out into the wilderness and kill him, but he's lucky enough to escape. And you thought it was going to be a cat and mouse, kind of them hunting him and killing him, but he makes it back. And we have some more stuff with the husband and wife and deciding what they're going to do. And he doesn't want to tell anyone. He wants to get his own revenge. He ends up going into the kind of the wilderness and everything like that. And they somehow get some of the upper hand. But of course, you know, they kidnap her and whatnot. And, and eventually he has to kind of rescue her in a way. And they both have to fight back and, and whatever. It just pits these two against each other. They list it as a horror movie. It's more in the style of exploitation movie but it is a rape revenge film at the same time and I include those in kind of the horror exploitation category in this time right um uh, the movie is 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 okay. It's decent. It's not perfect. I, I watched it while I was camping out on my little tablet here. Um, so so like it, the picture quality is VHS. So no worry, you're not watching. You're not getting the full experience. You didn't see it on the movies. It looks like shit. Okay. So I watched this sitting outside in the wilderness while I was 
exercising amongst a lake and trees that helped the movie has a lot of lake and trees and stuff and rivers and that you know helped enrich the experience but it's not a great movie it's not horrible either i do think that there is some interesting stuff between the husband and wife you know and their relationship and you know the what they're saying and stuff like that but it's not perfect it's okay savage encounter um something along these lines i think is a little better is called scream for vengeance from 1980 i think that one probably is a little bit better or aka vengeance i think that one's more in line with like a better rape revenge kind of horror style movie and plus there's some heavy hitters too from this year that everybody should be familiar with so anyways uh i spin out your grave is gonna be hard to top when you're talking about these kind of movies and like usually in these type of movies i prefer when the the actual rape victim gets the revenge not a not a husband or wife or friend or something like that but it is what it is um uh and, and some of them it doesn't happen i still think they're great movies so um savage encounter not perfect but not too bad either um maybe interesting if, if you're into this kind of stuff and you want to check out the south african flick from this year you could do worse i guess all right we're here for you ain't seen i picked this for you and it is sleepaway camp now it's no surprise i am on the summer series and this may come up but also this was on the initial list that i wanted you to watch and i planned on having you watch it it's during summer we were just camping and it it kept camping. It's in a giant cabin. It's not camping. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, like, are you talking to you as in me or you as in the audience? Me and you. Oh. And a, well, you're looking at the camera. Well, I always look at the camera. That's what I do. <laughs> okay. So, actually, I look in the lens finder, which makes it a little off and confuses What's the people. lens finder? Okay. All right. This movie is Sleepaway Camp, 1983. Um... It's a strange one. Uh, the director went on to do Sleepaway Camp Part 4, but not Parts 2 and 3. Long story, won't get into it. The thing is about Sleepaway Camp is initially when I saw this one, I was fairly young. And it just um, I felt like it was an okay slasher with a great ending. And as it went on, it just became more and more of a cult item over time. And it has a certain regional quality. Um, we know that I believe the Friday Thirteenth movies do they take place in New York, New Jersey kind of area, and Sleepaway Camp is definitely a New Jersey flick, and it feels like it. And I don't mean that as an insult, although sometimes it just sounds like it, right? But it's so we have like a lot of these like characters with thick like New Jersey accents. It's essentially kind of a it's a summer camp slasher. A group of kids are going to this this big summer camp. And fairly quickly, um, people start getting picked off. They tend to be bullies that pick on Angela or Ricky, uh, who are cousins. Now, we see a weird kind of thing in the very beginning that's like a boating accident. Very crazy, very strange. You really can't make ends meet of it until the final reveal of the film. So, there we go. Really, the ending and the regional characters kind of make this one stand out for me. The ending's a knockout, but throughout the entire movie, I'm never bored. I laugh quite a bit. And all the side characters are real big creeps and weirdos, very much of the 80s kind of style. So um, we're going to have spoilers in this. So I actually didn't read earlier um, one of the comments because it spoiled this movie. And uh, I figured most people have seen Sleepaway Camp. But to my amazement, you had not. And you didn't know the ending. Which no. made me very excited to watch it with you, um, because I saw it initially not knowing the ending, and there was like a ten second pause where people are like, "What?" But and then they explain it. You're like, "Oh, that's fucking weird." So, what did you think of 1983 Sleepaway Camp? It's all right. Are you serious? It was fun. No, I, okay. I did really enjoy it. It was. Uh, <laughs> um, no, I like it. I like the like the cast of characters. Um, the amping, or blah, 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 blah. the acting is a little bit, you know, on the campy side, um, <laughs> like it, literally. Um, but no, it's it's fun. I think all 
actually, I think its strength actually comes from like the cast of characters, the regional quality, and the dialogue among them. The, the dialogue, um, you know, yeah, you have your main characters, but every side character like is just as like developed and um, like like impactful. Like like you just get to see like like a myriad of like different types of people interacting with each other, and and they all mesh pretty well. And just like like the hijinks that everybody gets put up to, it's. It's it's fun, you know. It, it just comes across as very genuine. Um, it's nice that they actually have kids in here. Yeah, a lot of slasher kids. movies, actual kids. The Burning has a lot of young people mm-hmm. that are kids, and Friday Thirteenth Part Six are the ones that come to mind for me off the top of my head. Um, uh, the big actors in the movie are are Mike Arnold, uh, Mike Kellen, Mike Kennel, Mike Kellen. Um, he popped up in the <laughs> incident, and he pops up in Midnight. Uh, Midnight Express, some big movies, and Is he's he... he's a good actor. He is the the uh, Mel. Okay, yeah, and he's my course, favorite part. And James Earl Jones' father is in this. Mm-hmm. It kind of looks like him, kind of sounds like him, kind of doesn't at the same time, you know what I mean? It's very funny because, you know, six years after Star Wars, his father is in Sleepaway. I mean, they're obviously an acting family. Right. Um, go go ahead. I We got should mention, of course, um, I can't believe I'm, uh, Felicia Rose, who plays... Um, uh, Jeez, why am I forgetting uh, Ricky and uh, what am I, why did I forget? I just said her name in the very beginning. I don't know the name of any character in uh, this. Pamela, no, jeez, that's Pamela Springsteen. Why did I forget her name? Angela? Angelo. How could I forget Angela's name? Okay, so Felicia Rose, every time I say one or the other, I forget. But she's been a big part of the horror community in the last decade or so at conventions. Very friendly, uh, very, very cool. Seems very down to earth and everything. And, and uh, the fans love her, so that's also nice to see. And I, I do want to mention the Baldies cook has got to be the most disgusting character in any slasher movie from 1980s oh yeah yeah he, he, he's very quick though but yeah it's, it's kind of like over over the top yeah i'm gonna say over the top but just like oh you're starting with this okay um i think i do like this a bit more than like um uh what's the, what's the other camping the killer? friday 13 yeah yeah or the burning um, stuff like that what oh, i've never seen burning okay. um and and honestly i've never seen all of friday the 13th this guy's disgusting. Um, I figured you might like this kind of stuff better just because it's not. You know what I mean? Well, you know, because, because it feels like an actual camp. Um, I, you know, like, like I think I've only ever seen, like, two camping movies, this and the heavyweights. Um, Did you go to sixth grade camp? We went to sixth grade camp. That's only a week long, and that's yeah. for school anyway. Yeah. And also, I got in trouble a lot. Um, and I had to sit down a lot because I kept on bleeding. For some reason, I, I don't know. Every time I would go outside, like I would just start bleeding. Like, okay, you gotta go sit in the corner for you a had day. You stigmata. I'm just bleeding again. Um, uh, yeah, I went to sixth grade camp. It was fun. You know, we looked at a snake. Nothing like Safeway camp. <laughs> Nothing like Safeway camp. No, just, just a lot of snakes and a lot of blood. Okay, a lot of blood. More blood oh, we at got my it. camp than a Safeway okay. camp. So let's talk about the blood. So the kill. <laughs> The kills, and I'm trying to move this fucker yeah. along. You're talking about. I I just asked if you've been there and how it compared, and you went on about. He didn't some want trauma. my life story. I didn't, I didn't want your life story. So the kills in this are a little. You know, at first time I saw them, they're underwhelming because a lot of them are off screen. But they have really good aftermath. Of course, the snake coming out of the mouth and the the, uh, the shitter scene uh, where the guy gets the beehive. <laughs> But they're all a lot of fun, and mm-hmm. they're just kind of unique. Like, um, the, the Bone Arrows is a classic 
can't kill. I think they did Friday Thirteenth, but that one do, that one looked really good. Yeah, actually. that one looked the best. But right. like as far as the other ones, the aftermath kills. How many people are killed by a, a beehive or or like a snake crawling out of their mouth after they're drowned? It's just little touches. Um, the, we should mention like the the phys ed guy is very hilarious. Every line he mm-hmm. says is wonderful. He's like, I remember that kid being a pretty good swimmer. What the fuck is that? And like, I, I even the other guy who's on like the the shore, like, and he's like, you got it, you ma, you animals, you animals, and he yells at those like five year old kids. <laughs> you animals and like everybody's so ruthless in here from judy to the other meg meg where's meg you know the, there <laughs> is like um so, you know so everybody that dies like i guess in, in a way that like is getting it but like except for the kids i don't know why the kids died it's almost like here's what spoiler angela ends up being the killer and, yeah but it almost seems like somebody else killed those kids right like, not angela to be honest well, and that's what makes it really weird and, and it, it seems weird because it's like they're they're removed from each other like at the same time the kids died like two or three other people yeah. died um, so like maybe there are maybe Ricky killers. did it. You don't know. Like, I have no idea. Uh, but I, I mean, there's been suggestions. Did you notice that the one scene when it's supposed to be like in the shadows when Blu-ray, you can obviously tell it's Ricky wearing. Oh a wig. yeah. So like yeah. obviously that part. So they wanted to confuse it if it was Ricky or Angela, mm-hmm. and and like you didn't think it was going to be Angela. Who'd you think was going to be the killer? I thought that the, um the killer was going to be because I. I just got the vibe that Angela was too well, obvious. Was one of the kids that survived the yeah. um, accident? Well, they show that's kind of where you get the idea that it was the female survived. You realize it was actually the right, male and I actually thought it female. was going to be like her dead swamp brother, or maybe the dad. Like oh. that they didn't die in the boat. They but then they lived in the woods and like thrived off of like mosquitoes for the past eight years, and now they're out for revenge because they're beaming to the daughter that survived. That's what I thought. Which um, could have possibly happened. But when you meet that one crazy aunt who's like, that wouldn't do it Oh, all. yeah, yeah. Like, her performance almost has the, the quality of a drag queen from the top. Yeah. Like, to the point where I was like, is that a drag queen? But like, then, but then you, you get the reveal of, like, her father and his relationship. Yeah. And you're like... Oh. So it just it's such a weird baffling thing and I'm glad people haven't taken this as like an offensive anti-gay or anti-trans thing. It's, you know what I mean like right. it, and it's almost like they kind of embraced it the other way. I feel like it's become like this camp classic amongst a, amongst a lot of gay people. I feel like mm-hmm. it's one of the more popular horror films in the gay community if as if I would guess, you know what I mean as far as seems to be that way. But, you know, slashers are generally popular amongst gay community as far as I've seen, you know, Halloween and Scream and stuff like that. Yeah, which is weird. You know, I like like I'm a gay man and I'm not big into slashers. You're not big into horror movies, though. So it's just I'm big into horror, but I'm big into a different kind of horror. Like fifties, you're into gothic stuff and, gothic and sci-fi. Stuff, sci-fi. So yeah. like you can you can see in in ways that like this is appealing to the it's like got a campy quality. Mm-hmm. Um, Angela, her performance is just weird because a lot of it's staring off and it's just a lot of filthy mouths from kids too. Yeah, and I, and I absolutely <laughs> love uh, Mike Kellen, like him losing his mind on Ricky. He's like, and he's just like, I know you killed him. <laughs> it's such a, and what is up with Mike Kellen dating like an 18 year old camp like He's all like, <laughs> when he dresses up, he's wearing green, like corduroy pants. Mm. <laughs> like 
looks like a seven-year-old man moving into an old folks' home or going on a golf a golf <laughs> outing, and he doesn't even try to hide it. No. And like, and it's just such an awkward moment where that dude's like, "That's what I call baldies," and then like the other guy's like, "Oh, ho, ho, ho. like he laughs it off because he's so uncomfortable. You don't know right. what to fucking do. Like, it's just such a bonkers ass movie. And like, of course, Mike Callan's doing the mayor from Jaws the entire time. Mm-hmm. Like, it was an accident. It was an accident. Actually, his his, his uh, interaction with the police officer is great. It's like, so what you're saying it was an accident? No, that's not what I said. It's so we'll do an autopsy, and so it's an accident. He's <laughs> just like, like trying to put words in his his like mouth so he doesn't like investigate any further. Oh, and then you also have um. Jeez, the cop's fake mustache that comes yeah. in. <laughs> There's so much fun things about it. Like, it's a camp classic. Like, and it yeah. gets better every time you watch it. You start to be aware of the joke. And, they and like, I'm pretty sure everybody involved in And it's just fun. It's very regional. So we're going to read out of uh, Jan, John Stanley's Creature Features and James O'Neill's Terror on Tape. And they are it is in the book. And I feel like these people... Um, weren't a lot didn't write this long enough to this movie to see what mine just flat out spoils everything so yeah like it's spoiler and everything did you lose your spot no i found it okay all right you want me to go first or i'll go first i'll go first okay fascist all right sleepaway camp two stars out of four out of four gritty low budget friday the 13th clone about a repressed young teen rose raised as a girl though actually a boy who puts the knife to all those who give him her a tough time at summer camp this demented variation on an overly familiar theme is given slight distinction by Kellen as a Cam's harried owner. Some good Ed French makeups and a truly shocking final shot, retitled Nightmare Vacation in England, and followed by two direct-to-video sequels. And it is, they do drop dong in this. And it's awkward because the yeah. kid's supposed to be 12, but, like, all hairy, and it's just, it's fucking, um, it's crazy. So, uh, Sleepaway Camp. I mean, you know <laughs> we're talking I mean? about 12 year old dong. That's what I mean. Like, whatever. Uh, 12 year old forced to male transition to whatever. Yeah, yeah. Sleepaway Camp, one out of five. <laughs> Weak need slasher flick without flair for gore. Oh, there are murders galore at Camp Artawak. Sex pervert is scalded in Nevada bowling water. Boiling water. Boy drowns in overturned rowboat. Youth is stung to death by angry bees. Another kid is knifed in the shower, but they're clumsily staged homicides. Mike Helen's run this the dilapidated camp covering up the killing so his reputation won't suffer written directed by robert hilzik with no understanding of what makes a horror film work he should be sent to camp to sleep away his career <laughs> that's terrible that's true but it's terrible oh, what an asshole um, i would say yeah so like like when, when somebody dies like it's you get the setup of the kill and then like the camera will pan away so you don't see the actual process for the most part but the actual after effect looks pretty cool of like the body or whatever. No, they they look fantastic. And, and we don't have um no no Savini on this set. Let's no. just put it that way. You're not getting <coughs> these elaborate, innovative kills. Right. You're not yeah. you're not getting like footage of like the decapitation you or blood. You do see the sport. arrow. You do see the arrow, and that one I think does look really well. Um, but yeah, for the most part, it's like like pan up to a window, pan out to the water, and then then cut to the next day where it's just like the lifeless body. What's your favorite quote in it? I don't know. I don't remember any. Do you quote. think Mike Kellen? All like, his quotes are the hey, best. Hey, get out of my camp, you bum! That's from Street Trash. Oh. Get out of my god, <laughs> you bum! Um, no, uh, eat shit and live. Oh yeah, I do like that. <laughs> that's one. a good that, one. That's a fun one. Um, I and and that's what I call baldies. It's just such a fucking offensive, yeah. crazy line where you're like, oh my god, like because you don't quite know right off what he's getting 
at. You know exactly what he's getting at. It's a, well, you told me, but you know, I don't know if I would know right off. I would have to wait for his next. That scene. guy's such a creep. Like, I um, love, I love when he gets it burnt too, because he's like, "Get, come on, come on, I'll fucking kill you." Well, and then like, like, uh, um, like, like, like the the officer's like, "Yeah, he must be in agony. All of his nerve he gives endings." It, he gives it like a three minute spiel about how much like. And then Mike Cowan's just like, alright, let's go, hurry up. Don't and, then he, and then he's just like screaming the entire time <laughs> on the rest. Yeah. It's, it's... Um, and it's funny because that's like the same speech they give in Seven. Like, basically. Remember that? Like, with Sloth, the guy that they tie to the bed and feed drugs for like a year and he's just like all messed up and like the guy gets in his face and he wakes up they think he's dead and he's mm-hmm. like you deserve this and he wakes up he's like Ugh. and then uh the doctor literally it's i wonder if like david fitcher saw sleep wake up was like mm, i'm just kidding but <laughs> it's the line he gives he's like he suffered more than any man i can think of and he still has hell to look forward to and he walks away you're like, jesus christ doc calm down this doc's too he's like every nerve ending in his body right. is destroyed burns on 90 percent of his bodies what about his eyes too early to tell. <laughs> he technically doesn't really die. You don't know no, if he dies. No, no, right. But it's such a good uh, maiming that it's just like, we're going to count that as a kill. Mm-hmm. I would. I would, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. so it's fun. Anyways, I really enjoy this one. I don't know how to rate it. I probably would give it like a four and a, four and a half out of five. Just because it's such a weird ass slasher movie. You? I mean, I, I like it. Like, I... I'd say it's very middle. I'd say it's like a three out of five. It, it could go either way. It could either be like like a really fun movie or it can be kind of boring. I think it really depends on your mood. I can't wait to see like a thousand think pieces on why this movie should be gone. <laughs> I'm surprised it's not. Right. Like I said, it, it's been embraced. It's mm-hmm. just weird what's embraced and what's destroyed. You know what I mean? So uh, anyways, what are we watching next week? Um. Oh, I told you yesterday. House that drip blood is the yeah. Movie you said. We're gonna s- skip the um, Amicus deal. We were gonna do all those Amicus movies. I want Jeremy to watch some Amicus, and I just know no, if we'll ever get to it. We still have the Universal, right. and like the Amicus movie started off with like beach party movies, and I'm like, nah. we're just gonna do a lot of the Amicus movies and, and pick them off. So. Well, like like here's the thing with like I believe this is an Amicus, if the, I'm not mistaken. The Amicus is um they're very close to the Hammer, right? And, and, and watching all the Hammers back to back was. At one on one hand, very fun, really cool. I'm glad I did it. On the other hand, it it was horrible at times. Yeah, because you get like like a like a bad year where you get like two or three just shitters in a row. Like, and they're not even bad movies. It's just that they were too similar right, to watch yeah. back to back to back, so it destroys experiences. Yeah, this one right here is what we're gonna watch: The House of Drip Blood. Is it anthology or no? It's an anthology. It's an Amicus anthology. Oh, they they Lord. did eight anthologies, but then they had one. The Monster Club was kind of like an on um, official Amicus movie. Is Monster Club the one of Vincent Price? Yeah. I do like that one. That one's a this fun one. This is technically not an amicus, but some people include it. The other ones are include like uh, um, Torture Garden, Tales in the Crypt, Vault of Horror from Beyond the Grave. Oh, okay. There's a bunch of them. Um, yeah, this one has a good cast in here. Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing, uh, Delham Elliott. Jeez. Um, uh, Josh Ucklin, Josh Ucklin. Um, who else? Uh, Joanne, Joanna Dunham. Dunham seems very familiar to me, too. And, uh, yeah, this also got Ingrid Pitt, of course. Um and it's written by Robert Block, who wrote Psycho, among okay. other things. Oh, is a uh, um, and the scream is Asylum. Asylum, I think, is an Amicus too. That's a good one. Which anthology. one was Asylum? You never seen it. Oh, okay. <laughs> you never seen any of those movies. Oh, it's got yeah. an audio commentary by Troy Haworth as well. Very cool. Well, we're going to talk about this next week. You, you know, 
He's just spoiling everything. I've never seen it. This is one I have not seen. You haven't seen it before? No, Vampires, Voodoo, Vixens, Victims. You haven't seen The House That Dripped Blood? You ain't never seen House That Dripped Blood? <laughs> all right, we're done. All right, bye. All right, let's get into these questions, comments, concerns, all that good stuff. So uh, last week I asked you what your favorite vacation or summer camp horror movies are, exploitation movies. Okay, so Ken Coakley, when it comes to vacation or camping horror movies, I certainly like the usual group like Friday 13th, Hills Have Eyes, The Evil Dead, Sleepaway Camp. I don't care if she ended up having... Okay, um, <laughs> I'm not going to say that. He said, I met uh, Felicia Rose uh, Miller at Rock and Shock, and she is wicked hot. <laughs> she kissed me on the cheek, and I nearly passed out. A bit of trivia. Mike, the situation from Jersey Shore's brothers is a little boy in the beginning. I liked Sleepaway Camp too, but Pamela Springsteen looks so much like her brother Bruce that it's distracting. Oh, sorry about that. Nose is a little runny. Gross, I know. An overlooked camping movie that is uh, overlooked is Cheerleader Camp. It's a fun movie. Been years. Um, the final movie I consider vacation horror uh, movie, even though it's an antagonist that shows up and kills, and that is my second favorite movie of all time, Jaws. I'm a Massachusetts native, and remember that the townsfolk of Martha's Vineyard were afraid that shooting a movie about a killer shark would kill their tourism industry. It did the exact opposite. I went to Martha's Vineyard in 1987. It was all... It was all sharks and Jaws stuff. They even had a theater on South Beach that they only showed Jaws all year long. Honorable mentions, Hitchhike, R.I.P. David Hess. Hitchhike's a great movie. And Nightmare Beach. Nightmare Beach is hilarious. If anybody's seen that, Roberto Lindsay. Ten Room Bizarro. My vacations are stay-at-home, movie-watching, and resting. Yep, me too, usually. But it's been really nice to get out and uh, be in the sun and summer for once. You know, sometimes you get burnout. 81 Oak Ridge, I remember popping in the Mother's Day Blu-ray for the first time and couldn't believe how gorgeous it looked. Are you sure you have your TV calibrated properly? Yes. I'm just saying that this is an old Blu-ray. It could really use a new Vinegar Singer 4K, a new special edition. It could. I, I think it would do it wonders. Nick Mua, greetings Dave. I hope your vacation charged them batteries. I'm looking forward to my own vacation, believe it or not. Speaking about taking some time off, my absolute favorite vacation camping slashes are The Burning. Boring answer, I know. I love The Burning. Um, two, Madman, even boringer, but hey. A Lonely Place to Die, a 2011 gem about mountain climbing vacation, going to shit, featuring Melissa George, Christopher Smith's Triangle, 30 Days a Night, uh, basically lists some movies that she's in, Delta Z. Last week, Books about movies seem like a contradiction in terms, but the ones I like are as follows. The Complete Idiot's Guide to Classic Movies by Lee Pfeiffer, full of fun trivia. Also, who among us hasn't been an idiot to one time or another? The Teenage Slasher Movie Book, second revised and expanded edition by J.A. Kurzweil. It's an all-your-slasher-buff. Uh, it's an all-your-slasher-buff. Lastly, Zombie on the Brain Forever by Dave Parker. Not gonna happen. I would. Eventually, maybe I'll write a zombie book. That would definitely be the category, I think. But zombies, man. Everybody talks about them, and I almost just did the Dennis Hopper line from Land of the Freak, Land of the Dead. Um, question: When did your passion for zombie movies start? Um, probably before ten. Um, probably saw Night of the Living Dead, and I like zombies. But um, my real passion for zombies, I would say, was 1996 when I was about ten years old. That's when I got obsessed a big time with them. Um, you know, stuff like I saw Day of the Dead, Return of the Living Dead, and it was just downhill from there. Dawn of the Dead, and I was just obsessed with zombies since I was 10 years old. So that's what I'll say. Um, do you share Jeremy's views that Stephen King doesn't do endings all that well? Sometimes I do. Sometimes, you know, the shy, the stand book, maybe it's not that his endings aren't done well. Maybe it's that his first two acts are so much stronger than his last act that it, it, does, it stands out that it's poor, even if it's just average or something along those lines. I don't know. I do feel like a lot of his movies do have that problem or yeah, our books. What's the worst day ex machina ever to disgrace a horror movie? Hmm. Uh, I don't know. That's a tough question. Um, 
I think the movie Ex Machina is silly. Um, but that's not, not the movie doesn't end that way. I, I'm not silly. I just don't. Like I said, I've talked about it before. The turning chest doesn't work if you know they're a robot. It kind of defeats the purpose of it. But the movie's called Ex Machina, so that's why I brought it up. Um, jeez. Uh, worst day, Ex I'm sure there's one that's just like, okay. Um, just ending that happens absolutely out of nowhere. I mean, the stand, right? Even though I don't think it's that bad anymore as I got older, and it's definitely a religious thing in the movie, so it does not too. I don't know. I don't really have one, to be honest. Try not to boil over in this heat. Kentucky, um, Kentucky, Kentuckinator. I uh, hope you're having had a have or are having a good vacation. Yes, I did. I'll have. Uh, I'm going out of town this weekend as well. Um, D. Gulak. I never realized what a wild year 1980 was for horror. Amazing year. Howie Fencher, uh, Felter Snatch. Best vacation or camp movies? Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2, Friday 4, Friday 6, Hills Have Eyes, Sleepaway Camp, Cabin Fever. Per probably forgetting 50 more classics. Great question this week. Thank you. Angela Jane Nagney, Berserker, which is a fun movie. John Soloway, Rituals, and Hunter's Blood. Love both of those. Rich, uh, Rabid, Cannibal Campout, Edward Payson, Special Dead, Chris Firo, Hills Have Eyes, Carlos Lopez Jr., Kill Crazy, 1990. Makes me think Special Dead, but Survival Horror with Psycho Ward Vets, and that shit trademark in the 90s. Pure gold. That sounds like a blast. Darren Burroughs, Camp Fear, and Moonstalker are two recent ones I, I've seen. Justin Patrick, Friday 1 through 9, Hills Have Eyes, Blair Witch, Sleepaway Camp. Herbert West, Just Before Dawn and the Final Tear, Don't Go Into the Woods. Stan Moreland, Just Before Dawn, Cody Coleman, Zombievers. That's a lot of fun. Uh, Corey Walter, Blair Witch Project, and does heavyweights count as exploitation? Because Ben Stiller was deaf explaining the hell out of the fat kids. Yeah. Michael Fisher, Skin Deep, Lacey Luke, Cabin of the Woods and Sleepaway Camp, Tom Brunner, Grizzly, Jason, Brian, uh, Comantis, Hazel, Cheerleader Camp, 88, The Burning, 81, Taurus Trap, 79, Wrong Turn, 03, Wolf Creek, 05, oh, and Piranha, 78, Daniel Datilla, Race with the Devil, Great Call. Charles Meacham, The Evil Dead, 81, Evil Dead 2, Hostel, Hostel 2, Tucker and Dale vs. Evil, Cabin in the Woods. Just trying to think of other films that weren't talked about above. Tim Walker, Rituals, Just Before Dawn, Jeff Chitty, Just Before Dawn and Rituals, Sean Donahue, Don't Go in the Woods, uh, Ronald Postillo, Just Before Dawn, Chris Carroll, Rituals, People Love Rituals, Chris Leto, Crazy Lake, Cameron Scott, The Forest is Underappreciated, The Forest from 82, I mean, ha. Huh. Ron Ford, TCM, Probably the King of Them All, Evil Dead, Hostel, John Leonard, Meatballs, um... Uh, Amanda Bogaris replies to him as with little darkness. Kyle A. Raborn, The Ritual, Peter England. I'll keep the list specifically only one on those summer camp slasher horror movies. Meatballs, one. You say that you are, and then Meatballs is the first one. Okay, slash, slash horror movies. Camp sla summer camp slasher slash horror movies. Okay, Meatballs, although of course not a horror movie, but it had, a, in my opinion, had a huge influence on the summer camp slasher movies. Friday the 13th Part 2, The Burning, Sleepaway Camp, Piranha, Adam's Family Values. Good call on Adam's Family Values, right? Um, I don't know how to swim. And a special mention just for nostalgic reasons like Meatballs, The 1980 Little Darlings, Adam Yervina, Hostel and He's Out There, Jacob Davidson, Just Before Dawn, Will England, Hitchhike, The Final Terror, Judgment Day, Bloody Murder, Camp Blood, Marcus Cook, Bloody, Bloody Bible Camp. It's a very funny movie um, with Reggie Bannister singing uh, the Wiener song. Zachary Livingston, Bloody Summer Camp, Clody Lee Harden, Deliverance is the prestige picture of the genre. I think The Burning is the best of all the summer camp slashers. Love both of those. And he says, last summer is sort of a vacation horror movie at the end, anyways. Perfect flick. Christopher Bickle, Summer Camp Nightmare, Stanley Isman, The Burning, Sleepaway Camp, Madman Mars, Mike Merriman, Deliverance, Rituals for Dawn, Southern Comfort, Rye Guy, 
Southern Comfort is criminally underrated. I, it's a great movie. Uh, Kaylee Gray, um, Cabin in the Woods, Evil Dead 1 and 2, J.P. Andrika, The Prey, The Forest, Don't Go in the Woods Alone, Madman, The Final Tear, The Body, The Burning, The Bo- and Body Count, Camp, Dread, Bloody, Bloody, Bible Camp, Camp Twilight, um, Stephen McGivern, The Last Dragon, Jason Ellis, The Forest, Ed Demko, Race of the Devil, Eddie Edward Wood, Don't Go in the Woods Alone, um, and Rituals, John Taylor, even though it's pretty bad, I absolutely love Moonstalker, Michael Darwin, Severance, uh, Mando, Ayla, Mondo, sorry. Hope Mando. Ayla, Eden Lake, Josh Hayes, Friday 13th, of course. Don't fuck in the woods. Hope you're doing all right, Mando, by the way. Um, Lucky Soretti, Freak. Directed Freak. Um, Eric Whiting, arguably not horror, though. Definitely scary. Deliverance. Antonio Pandilla, Madman. Madeline Daring, Cannibal Campout. Cassidy Botwin, I think Long Weekend, while not exactly fitting the theme, has more to say of, of these types of films. Yorlick Dolphing, Mr. Ballin. Uh, David L. Terman. Uh, Tamarin, sorry, both Wolf Creek 1 and 2, Les Cr- Lex Crossley, based on vacation-related, Cooper's Camera, based on horror-related, Poultry Guys, Jeremy Summerell, Pickaxe, but unbiased, Amanda Bogaris, Sleepaway Camp, Dreamcatcher, Cabin Fever, Shazine Barbarian, either Eden Lake or Borderlands, but gee golly, gosh, there's a lot of good ones, Matthew Cantor, Don't Fuck in the Woods, Fun Little Creature f- Feature, um, seen seen that jason duran it makes me very happy to see so many people listing rituals just for don a madman overall the whole thread is fire nice uh cory daniel foster i love the burning shane glass just for don piranha and mutilator jeff gardner body count and meatballs too that alien was terrifying ha huh? uh ogre in the boxing scene um meatballs too is so silly oh man that alien who farted uh that movie's so silly david haney hillbilly bloodbath and for the question this week I since I talked about Rob Zombie, um, one thing you are tired about arguing with in the horror genre is it zombies versus infected? Rob Zombie, what is it? Like, what is one thing you're so sick of seeing or arguing about in the horror genre that just drives you crazy? Like, you're so tired of it, no one cares, right? Like, um, so please, no arguments about the arguments. Like, I don't want you to list. Oh, I'm tired of hearing how bad Rob Zombie is, and then underneath people like, well, he fucking sucks. Like, stop it. I'm just going to delete the comment or I'm just gonna... at this point, like there was somebody that I don't want to, I don't even want to point out. Like every time I asked a question, they would literally just laugh, put a laugh emoji on other people's responses, or they'd argue with them. It's like, this is not the place to argue with somebody's favorite movie. Like, like what's your favorite movie from this year? And they'd be like midsummer. And he'd be like, that movie sucks. It's like, fuck off, dude. Like arguing with strangers. Like this is not your place to just like argue. Like, and all the person ever did was argue. And I just blocked them. Like, and I know it's not like, I don't typically do that, but it's just like, don't be rude to strangers that don't even, that has not, that not did anything rude to you except enjoying a movie. Like, it's fine if you're like, it's your thread or fine if you're arguing or just like passionately discussing something. Like, oh yeah, I didn't like, but it's just being rude and putting the laugh emoji to laugh at other people's comment or like opinions without any backup or what you're saying, just stupid shit. Dude, fuck off. I'm not going to deal with that. I, I don't want, you know, I don't want this. What are you tired of discussing in the horror genre? Which could just be put to death. Here's one for me. I'm tired of people being like, Toby Hooper didn't direct Poltergeist. I don't give a shit, man. Like his name's on the fucking directed by I, you weren't there. I weren't there. I'm just going to assume Toby Hooper directed it. I don't care what a PA said. I don't give a fuck. Okay. Like it is what it is. And like, whatever you say, I know some people like you think he didn't direct it. That's fine. I'm just tired of discussing it. Let's put that to bed. Let's put how bad Rob Zombie sucks to bed. I'm tired of hearing about it. Let's, 
put to is a zombies an infected movie let's put that to bed these are just horror arguments you're tired of you don't have to put them to bed you might like discussing them i like discussing them in terms of just how it's different from the other ones like the zombie infected with well, this and this and this but just arguing what is and what isn't is, is pointless let's just discuss what makes them different in a, in a fun way instead of just arguing i count this as a zombie movie you're not blue to the face it's just sometimes it gets nowhere let's just discuss the differences in how they work Instead of just discussing, you know, the, the the hating on each other, it's just annoying. Okay, like if it, I just, what are the arguments you guys are sick of hearing? That's kind of what I want to talk about uh, on, on this, and just ones you want to see put to death, you never have to see again. Okay, and there's a lot of things that are in the horror genre, horror tropes that just drive me crazy. Where people will be like, "Hot takes, sex chainsaw sucks," and that's all they put. They just want to have these long threads of people arguing and and just these troll threads, or or like, "Am I the only one that thinks Friday the Thirteenth should have had a giant zombie in it?" Is it or something like, "Am I the only one that thinks Nightmare on Elm Street Two is is better than one?" Sure, you're the only one. Well, no, of course you're not. It's, I'm sorry. I'm just. It's sometimes when you're involved with the main, mainstream horror groups, they drive you crazy just because it's the same dumb shit like over and over again, and you're just sick of it. Social media is killing us. It's killing me. I'm sorry, and I'm becoming part of the problem. Let's move on to that update. Okay, here we go with the update. First up is Out of the Blue 4K, uh, directed by Dennis Hopper. Um, never seen this one. I do love the song Out of the Blue. The Neil, I don't think it's called Out of the Blue. Is it Hey Hey, My Bye by Neil Young, whatever. Anyways, uh, yeah, I look forward to checking this out i did have um an import of the dvd and i just never got to watch it so anyways i, I hear great things nothing but great things um yeah dennis hopper's a great actor he's a great director so let's let's see what this one's all about good slip cover from severin um we also got another 4k from severin we got faceless that's right just franco flick uh bridget lahey is in the, oh, how do you ever say her name she's done a bunch of stuff a lot of softcore stuff a lot of french films of course some john roland um um, so anyways, yeah, I've never, I've never actually seen Faceless. I had the old DVD from Shriek Show. Looks great. Extremely gory with an amazing cast. I, it suggests one of the Dr. Orloff films from Franco's heyday, resurrected by the way of Lucio Fulci. Uh, sounds like I'll definitely dig this one. Of course, Telly Savalas is in here. Um, this is so weird that, uh, Faceless is on 4K. <laughs> it's on 4K. Jess Franco made it to 4K before so many other directors. How do you guys like that? Then we have another one here. This is the female executioner again with Bridget. Um, for fans who like their action with a dose of sleaze, who doesn't? Um, so there we go here. Uh, yeah, um, this one looks like a lot of fun. Very cool. Uh, yeah, Blu-ray, black case here. Never seen this one. Um, I've seen a couple of these French like exploitation action flicks. Um, Brigade of Death was one of the craziest movies I've ever seen. Then we have here uh, La Noche de la Era. What is this? Blood Hunt. Um, yeah, another one from uh, Severin. The Peckinpah influence is evident. I love Sam Peckinpah, so there we go. It's like a hyperbolic version of the most dangerous game with generous doses of sordid 70s American rule tear films. What? What you just? That sounds like it's totally up my alley. This looks awesome. Definitely check this one out ASAP. Looks very cool. I love like those survival movies too, where you just like you're on the run and there's a group of baddies hunting you and stuff. Whatever. Like I'm the main character in the movie or not, but you guys know what I mean. Mansion of the Living Dead, another Jess Franco on Blu-ray. This is an old DVD they had. They upgraded it, so very cool. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Man, the, the the selling points on here, the fucking insane one of just better eighty better's eighty efforts in a Franco film through and through. Man, they're selling these hard on these cases. So anyways, look forward to checking that out. 
Makumba Sexual, another Jess Franco. Um, yeah. Anyways, I am a big fan of uh, Severn Films, if you guys haven't known. <laughs> the one on here is the best, The Lawrence of Arabia of Erotic Horror. Oh, boy, man. So sprawling landscapes and all this. I, I wonder, man. I, maybe I'll have to save this for a theater experience, if that's the case. So then we have The Shadow, the Shadowed Mind, which is an Australian flick. And I've only heard it in passing a little bit. It's supposed to be pretty sexually explicit, is from what I understand. It might have even got an NC-17. Um, looks very cool. Um, yeah. So I don't, I don't know. I was worried about having, like, there'd be nudity on the back here. But I remember this one. Didn't this get, like, have trouble with the ratings board and all this kind of stuff? I think they might have had to chop out some dong. I'm not 100% sure. Maybe they just went unrated. Okay, so that is The Shadowed Mind. Next up, All About Evil, which I think I initially had on DVD. Never did watch it. That's kind of my MO, right? Um, like, if I could watch all these movies, I most certainly would. I know, I know, uh, people always make fun of the, a lot of collectors for not watching what they have, but I'd say I'm a movie watcher more than a collector. I, I watch as much as I possibly can. Ask anybody. All About Evil. I heard uh, this this person on the uh, Severin podcast, and they sounded really cool, and I guess this has a lot of uh, kind of similarities to um, John Waters films and this is a heavy there's like three DVDs or something in here bonus disc soundtrack CD man it's just heavy I bet there's a lot of a booklet in here there we go that's definitely in there a lot of features looks fun um, Thomas Decker that name's familiar I think he popped up in a couple uh, flicks I've seen but anyways I'll definitely check these out um, then we have Libido Ernest, uh, directed by Ernesto Gastaldi, who is one of the most prolific giallo Italian horror writers of all time. And, uh, yeah, this one I've never actually seen. Um, Tim Lucas is a fan. That's good enough for me. Uh, black and white kind of giallo style thing, 1965, so it's early, too. Yeah, and Ernesto Gastaldi is, like, one of the premier writers, like I said, so... And he's always in interviews and stuff. Now we have Little Gory Cory. That's right. This is a SRS release on Blu-ray. This cover looks fun. Um, I think they gave a little poster here as well. Let me pop this out. I, I I don't know if I know of this flick. Or if I did, it was only in brief passing. I, I don't know it that well. Like I never saw it. I guarantee that. It's signed. Um, this looks ridiculous, man. This looks fun. Uh, yeah, gory. Uh, Corey knows the meaning of Murphy's Law. If something could go wrong, it went wrong for Corey. Loadeth work. Downtrodden is scarred from daily scrutiny. Um, scared, uh, scarred from daily scrutiny. Corey has nothing to look forward to when he and his stepbrother, Biff, get into a heated argument over a girl they both like. The end result is deadly. New HD transfer, original camera negative, uncut for the first time since the VHS release. Little Gory Corey, 1993, 91 minutes. <laughs> I'll definitely check this one out. Very cool. And then we have Violent Breed on Blu-ray. Uh, this looks fun. Henry Silva, Woody Strode. And it's directed by Fernando De Leo, who did a lot of crime films. It's called Red Release. Definitely picked that up. And my buddy Extra the Mutilator said Ozamba, Ozambi is really fun. Um, so I picked it up, got it used. It was a very cheap ship, like seven bucks. So it has a slipcover. It looks like it's been through actual war. Um, but anyways, he said this movie's a lot of fun, so I'm going to give it a chance. That is the update. Back to the video to say goodbye to y'all. Okay, guys, thank you very much for watching. And as always, have a good one. Mm.